Wendell's World in Sports. Let's be great. Let's be great. An entertaining and provocative look into the world of sports and beyond. Play our game. All right? Play hard, but stay poised. Please feel free to go over to Apple iTunes and rate and review. Your feedback is welcome. Go rock this thing, huh? Love you, man. Go get it. And now, the host of the program from the Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Wendell Wallace. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world and pertaining to the world of sports. I hope everybody is doing well, I hope everybody is safe, I hope everybody is happy, I hope everybody is moving forward, I hope everybody mentally, physically is in a good place, I hope everybody is doing what they need to do to make this place a better place to live in, your neighborhood, your community, your state, your region, your country, your world. I hope you're doing what we need to do to move this country forward, to bring peace and harmony, togetherness, unity, equality to everybody, not for this generation, but for our children's generation, for their children's generation, so on and so forth. So 40, 50, 60, 70, 100 years from now, if this world is still living, if this still world is still around, we can have the world that my generation or black folks and other folks and oppressed folks and poor folks from my generation only wish we could have during our lifetime. What we're doing right now is we're building the foundation so the fourth generation of my folks and fourth generation of my community, the people from my community, can have that type of brotherhood and unity with folks from all over the world of different races, places, and faces. We cannot start any of that until we have the uncomfortable conversations, until we do what we need to do to shut up to listen, to learn, to educate, to be open-minded, to get your head out of your ass, to get your head out of the sand, and to listen to those who are going through what we're going through right now, and to listen sincerely and educate themselves, and pass that education along to others so we can grow, so we can grow and build this bridge of unity and harmony and peace and equality and integration that needs to be started right now that bridge needs to be continued continue to be built as we move forward in the years and the decades and centuries to come so for this podcast as i've always said before as i will always do to bring my part i always say bonjour bonsoir 
Matt Liddell, Monsieur, Jim Appel, Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm so glad that you could be with us. I hope that you're doing well. Que pasa, mi amigos? Mi amo a Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Shalom, my brothers and sisters. Wendell Wallace, Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Konnichiwa, my brothers and sisters of love, peace, unity, and equality. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And wassalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters of peace, love, togetherness, equality, and for integration. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Okay, let's get to it, man. Today, what we're going to be discussing on the day four years ago that Colin Kaepernick took a knee to protest racial injustice and police brutality. The NBA playoff games were postponed Wednesday after the Milwaukee Bucks decided to boycott the game in wake of the Jacob Blake shooting that happened this uh, this past Sunday, this past weekend, where a black man once again was shot seven times in the back for resisting arrest. The update on Mr. Blake is he is um, paralyzed from the waist down, but the attempted murder of this man is just another example. Despite the marching, despite the protesting, despite the looting, despite the rioting, despite the kneeling, despite the, the, the pleas for unity and harmony, these things in this country, these things in the United States, these things happening to black men too, still continue to be persistent are still continuing to exist. So the Milwaukee Bucks with the shooting, with this latest incident happening in the state of Wisconsin, happening in the place, happening in the state where they play, decided enough was enough, led by George Hill. Enough was enough. They went ahead and they said, you know what, for today's game against the Orlando Magic, a game in which if they won, they would have uh, proceeded to the Eastern Conference semifinals. They said, you know what, it ain't worth it. We're going to go ahead and boycott this game. Now, the statement from the NBA read, The NBA and the National Basketball Players Association today announced that in the light of the Milwaukee Bucks' decision not to take the floor today for Game 5 against the Orlando Magic, today's three game, three games, Milwaukee Bucks versus the Orlando Magic, Houston Rockets versus the Oklahoma City Thunder, and the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Portland Trailblazers, have been postponed. Game five for each series will be rescheduled. Now, in a statement, the Milwaukee Bucks made their uh, decision to boycott game five known to the public, and this is what they had to say uh, concerning that matter in a statement. Um, as you can see, we all thank you guys for taking upon your time to stay here with us. Uh, we're sorry that it took a little bit more time, but we thought it would be best for us as a team to brainstorm a little bit, educate ourselves, um, and not rush into having raw emotion, giving you guys things like that. So uh, on behalf of ourselves and our team, we are going to place a statement as a team today and go back and continue to educate ourselves and get better awareness of what's going on. And then you know, speak to you guys later. So we're going to come up with a statement now. Our team statement. Uh past four months have shed a light on the ongoing racial injustices facing our African-American community. Citizens around the country have used their voices and platforms to speak out against these wrongdoings. Over the last few days in our home state of Wisconsin, we've seen the horrendous video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times by a police officer in Kenosha and the additional shooting of protesters. Despite the overwhelming plea for change, there has been no action. So our focus today cannot be on basketball. When we take the court and represent Milwaukee and Wisconsin, 
we are expected to play at a high level, give maximum effort, and hold each other accountable. We hold ourselves to that standard, and in this moment, we are demanding the same from lawmakers and law enforcement. We are calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demand the officers be held accountable. For this to occur, it is imperative for the Wisconsin State Legislature to reconvene after months of inaction and take up meaningful measures to address issues of police accountability, brutality, and criminal justice reform. We encourage all citizens to educate themselves, take peaceful and responsible action, and remember to vote on November 3rd on behalf of the Milwaukee Bucks. The past four months have shed a light on the ongoing racial injustices facing our African-American communities. Citizens around the world have used their voices and platforms to speak out against these wrongdoings. Over the last few days in our home state of Wisconsin, we've seen the horrendous video of Jacob Blake being shot in the back seven times by police officers in Kenosha and the additional shooting of protesters despite the overwhelming plea for change there has been no action so our focus today cannot be on basketball we are calling for racial uh, we are calling for justice for Jacob Blake and demand the officers be held accountable for this to occur it is imperative for the Wisconsin state legislature to reconvene after months of inaction to take up meaningful measures to address issues of police accountability brutality and criminal justice reform. We encourage all citizens to educate themselves, take peaceful and responsible action, and remember to vote. Oh, man. Remember to vote on November 3rd. Le uh, LeBron James tweeted um, later about the Bucks saying they were going to boycott their game. Fuck this man. We demand change. Sick of it. So he was letting his expressions being felt in the immediacy of their decision to boycott the game um through all of this was the in terms of the worst response of course it came from a politician of course you had to know during this time during the election season that the evils and the shallowness of politicians had to rear its ugly head so wisconsin attorney general democrat josh call k-a-u-l he made a comment about the Bucks taking a stand and during a news conference on Wednesday. And he said, I commend the Bucks, and now all NBA teams suspended their games today for stepping up and participating in the dialogue about these issues and making their voices known. The Bucks have frankly done more to address these issues than Robin Voss or Scott Fitzgerald have done. And so I applaud them for stepping up and playing a leadership role in the debate. Man, how in the, how, how in the world can I take you seriously, man? How can I take your words to be genuine when you throw in that bullshit right there about, you know, the Bucks have frankly done more to address the issues than Robin Voss or Scott Fitzgerald. Hey, man, this ain't another time to be politicking. This is not another time to be campaigning. Shut the fuck up about that bullshit. Man, in a situation like this, it ain't about Republican. It ain't about Democrat. It ain't about any of that shit right now. It's about what the fuck are we going to do about moving this thing forward so black people cannot get shot. Damn, I hate when they throw in politicians, politics when they do that shit. I don't give a damn during this situation who has the answer, who has the solution. Now, I have a pretty good idea that the folks on the right, for the most part, do not have the solution, aren't really interested in finding a solution, don't really care about that solution because the people who are doing the protesting towards police, police brutality really aren't part of their tent. 
really aren't invited to their party, really aren't invited to their gala, really don't have the same uh, feelings and opinions about what's going on concerning their community. But again, in a time like this, if a politician is going to step up from the state concerning this matter, let's just stick with, I commend the Bucks, and now all NBA teams suspending their games today for stepping up and participating in the dialogue about these issues and making their voices known. That's all you need to say. Or you need to say, after saying that, I look forward to working with my colleague from both sides of the aisle for this common ground that we need to have, you know, for this common ground, for this common uh, issue that we have in terms of what we need to do to reform police uh, officing or something like that. You know what I'm talking about? Talking about bringing together unity or harmony or some shit like that. Don't be taking veiled bullshit shots about, you know, Scott Fitzgerald and Robin Voss, even if they haven't done anything. To sit up there and do that and make it a political point, man, that was just low blow, that was just uncalled for, but that was just par for the course when you're talking about the quote-unquote leaders of our country today on both sides of the aisle. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. So, as of this recording right now, and I'm recording this podcast on a early Monday morning, I just read from Adrian Wojnarowski that he reported that after meeting and after getting together, the players have decided that they're going to resume the NBA schedule. That I don't think that today's games between the Clippers and the Mavericks and the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets and the other games on Thursday, the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors were supposed to be starting game one of their Eastern Conference semifinals. I don't think those games are going to be uh, played today, but um, they will be rescheduled and they will be started. But in this situation, the NBA for a day or two boycotting an NBA. This is not a regular season. This is not a situation where this is a preseason game. This is not a situation where, you know, game 44 of an 82 game schedule in the middle of February, they decided to go ahead and boycott these games. This is the situation in the year 2020 which is going to go down in the record books, in the history books, something else, man. This is a situation where they were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to take a stand. They were willing to do what was necessary to get their point across, to get their voices to be heard. And we're speaking about a playoff game. If you just want to, you know, take away the reasons in terms of the impact that the teams had in terms of, you know, not playing these games. I mean, we're speaking about a situation where, you know, if you're an asshole and you're a Portland Trailblazer fan and you're too ignorant, too close-minded, too out of touch, too much having your head up your ass to realize the significance and the importance of what the players were trying to do in terms of saying they were going to boycott these games for this day, if you really want to be ignorant enough to kind of push all that aside and not really think about it and only focus on the basketball player, if you're a Portland Trailblazer fan, you're like, well, you know, shit, at least this gives Dame Lillard another day to go ahead and see about resting himself up so he can play in game five. Because Wednesday, you know, Lillard was ruled out for playing in the uh, deciding game, but for, for them, the meaningful game of trying to win to stay alive in the playoffs against the Lakers. 
So if they reschedule this game, maybe this will give some time for Damian Lillard to heal because without him, we have no chance to win the basketball game. Now C.J. McCollum has an opportunity to receive more treatment for the broken back that he has so he can be more efficient and so he can be more impactful in the game five. If you really want to go the asshole route, if you really want to go the I don't give a shit route, you can take a look and say, wow, you know what? This is really a blessing for the Dallas Mavericks because now with these games... With the season continuing and the Mavericks and the Clippers being rescheduled with the Clippers leading three games to two, hip hip hooray, this is a situation where we can get Luka Doncic's ankle that much better. We can rest up and heal Christoph Porzingis enough to where he can give us some time. Wow, so you know what? There really was a positive uh, situation in terms of the NBA boycotting the, day, the games a couple of times. If the... Mavericks come back and win this series and Doncic goes nuts and Christoph Porzingis comes back and plays great. How many Clipper fans or how many people who are going to miss the big picture out of all of this and is going to look back and say what the players did, what the players did in terms of boycotting these games over the uh, police brutality in terms of the injustice, in terms of what happened to uh, Jacob Blake. It was their fault. It was that it, that was the reason why they lost the series. So was it really worth it? I mean, that could be an actual talking point. That could be an actual discussion moving forward when these games do resume. And that's exactly one of the reasons why these NBA players were boycotting to begin with. That's one of the reasons why these players were thinking about ending the season at this present time to begin with. Because there's a lot of people out there who would have that same type of thought pattern in terms of, hey, you know what? The, this is the best of both worlds. We, If you're a Dallas Mavericks fan, right? This is the best of both worlds. They get more time for Luka to heal. They get more time for uh, Porzingis to heal. And now we have a better opportunity if the games are going to be rescheduled for this weekend or next week sometime. Now Luka's ankle could be closer to 100% than ever before. Porzingis can be on the floor. Hip, hip, hooray. Great job, NBA. Ha, ha, ha. So that's the type of stupid bullshit that the NBA players are going up against. So, you know, I, I applaud the efforts. I applaud the thought process. I applaud everything that the, um, the NBA did. And you know, the NBA, another, it's a historical moment, as I mentioned before, in professional sports in America. The NBA has, in its history, has done some boycotting. Um, Elgin Baylor, when he was with the Lakers, when they were playing in an exhibition during the exhibition season, he went to uh, he went to one of these southern states, or he went to one of these states back in the day, back in the early '60s, maybe with the late '50s, to where he couldn't eat at a lunch counter, he couldn't go into a restaurant because of the color of his skin. I remember the story of the Boston Celtics with Bill Russell. I believe it was in Frankfort, Kentucky, or somewhere in Kentucky. The Celtics were playing an exhibition game, and him and Casey Jones and Sam Jones and Seth Sanders, the black players on the team, they were, you know, um, in the um, they were at a luncheon or something like that. And the mayor was like, "Oh, this is fantastic, and this is wonderful. We're so proud and privileged to have Frank Ramsey, who played at the University of Kentucky, was a white guy. I think he led." The Wildcats to the championship, one of Adolph Rupp's, Rupp's boys. So, you know, that was one of the reasons why the Celtics came back to the state of Kentucky in the preseason to play these basketball games. So it was like, oh, you know, the mayor of the town was like, oh, the people who gathered for the luncheon were like, oh, yeah, Frank Ramsey is so wonderful to see you. And 
this is great, and you're playing in the NBA and hip hip hooray and do that but do day and, and then the black players, oh yeah, here's the key to the city and this, that, and the other, and fantastic. Glad to have you here. Then later on that night, later on that day before the game, the, the Bill Russell and the other black players went to try to get something to eat, and they were denied service at a restaurant. They were denied service at another restaurant, and they were denied service at another restaurant, clearly because of the color of their skin. So Bill Russell, in the middle of the night, got the players together, the black players together, told the um, took the key in the middle of the night, found out where the mayor lived in town, knocked on his door, Someone came to the door and said, here, here's your key back to the city. We don't want this. <laughs> oh, yeah, by the way, we're going home. If this is the way we're going to be treated, we ain't playing in the uh, preseason game tomorrow. And Frank Ramsey was like, hey, look, you know, you're kind of embarrassing me a little bit. But look, I understand. I got your back. Don't worry about it. That type of thing. Same thing with Elgin Baylor. Uh, it was like, you know, uh, the white players were like, gee, man, I mean, you know, you're kind of embarrassing me here and not making me look good. But, you know, you're my teammate. So I go ahead and support you. So. This is not the first time in NBA history that black players have stood up for racial inequality and injustice and oppression and being, uh, uh, you know, being segregated and such. But <clears throat> that was preseason, and that was in the 1950s, <clears throat> and that was in the 1960s. Here we're speaking about 2020, the year 2020, and we're speaking about an NBA playoff game. So, fantastic. And what these players are doing, regardless of whether they would have canceled the season or not, the fact of the act of what they did is just carrying on the legacy of great black athletes who have fought for freedom, who have made an impact in society, has made an impact toward integration, has made an impact toward uh, educating, learning, observation, those type of things. They're carrying on the legacy of Jack Johnson and Jesse Owens and Joe Lewis and Fritz Pollard, Paul Robeson, Josh Gibson, Major Harris, Oscar Charleston, Jackie Robinson, Larry Doby, Jim Brown, Oscar Robertson, Bill Russell, Muhammad Ali, Larry Elder, Althea Gibson, Wilma Rudolph, John Carlos, Tommy Smith, Craig Hodges, Kurt Flood, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, Arthur Ashe, Colin Ka uh, Kaepernick, and countless, countless others who have sacrificed for the betterment of not just the athletes, not just the athletes coming after them so they can achieve financially, so they can achieve what they uh, were, you know, given the opportunity to do at the ability that the God has given them to play basketball, to play football, to play baseball, to run track, to wrestle, to box, all of these type of things. Not only did they lay down the foundation, not only did they lay down the pavement toward the avenue, of being able to produce a LeBron James and a Michael Jordan and a Magic Johnson and a Charles Barkley and a Kobe Bryant and a LeBron James and such and such and such and such. But also, you know, like I mentioned before, made a huge impact on society. And I, I name all those guys, man. I'm going to name all their names. They must be said for historical, respectful purposes. So, you know, I, I'm, Thinking to myself, in the decision for these guys first to boycott the games, then have the discussion and have the meetings about, okay, what we're going to do next, and then ultimately come to the decision that, you know what, we're going to go ahead and we're going to resume the, the schedule. I wonder how much the league, the players, the coaches, the owners, the commissioners, 
I wonder how much they used from the experience they had from the last off-the-court issue of this magnitude in speaking about the Donald Sterling situation in 2014 where Donald Sterling was caught basically being a racist in terms of, you know, kind of like with the police where, you know, the police, you can sit there and when there's no video, where there's no evidence and when it's his word versus your word, when it's the officer's word versus the victim's word, you know, due to the reputation or due to the definition of what a police officer is and the person that he's arresting, what that definition, what that stereotype is supposed to be. If there's no evidence to show police brutality, if there's no evidence to show that the police was violating his uh, civil rights, that most folks, mainly white folks, some black folks, some Asian folks, some Hispanics folks, some all of the above folks are going to sit there and side with the officer, especially when you have a relationship with the officer, with a police officer in that community in which that doesn't fit the description of what a police officer is for other people in other communities, especially communities of poverty, especially communities of color. So it's a matter of most people are going to take the word of the officer. Well, unless there is documentation of, oh shit, really? This guy really did did this. Oh, oh, oh shit. Well, it's a situation with the Donald Sterling situation. Everybody knew, everybody had stories about Donald Sterling being a racist. Everybody had stories about Donald Sterling being a bigoted asshole. Everybody had stories. Everybody had instances. Everybody had, have you heard? But it wasn't until he was caught actually voicing his hatred, voicing his bigotry, voicing his racist views, voicing his ignorant thoughts and opinions about black folks to his, I don't know what that girl was, black, white, I don't know what the hell she was, but not Lily White girlfriend, and people heard of that, that's when the shit hit the fan. That's when it became real. That's when it became 100% legit. That's when it became 2 plus 2 equal 4. This shit is a fact about what's happening with Donald Sterling and what type of person that he is. So the players were united, were unified that season to boycott, to go ahead and say, you know, fuck it, we're done with the playoffs until something drastic was done with Donald Sterling. And using that power, using that leverage, Adam Silver banned him from life, which was not in the Constitution, by the way. Adam Silver at the time didn't have the authority to ban an owner or basically strip an owner of his team that wasn't in the NBA Constitution, but you know what? He laid the groundwork in terms of first, I'm going to ban your ad for life, and then because I'm going to ban your ad from life, ultimately, we're going to have you sell the basketball team. So that was strong. That was powerful. I was listening to um, what Ramona Shelburne said about how close the players were to doing something really drastic if something wasn't done about Sterling. She was talking to the uh, beautiful Carrie Champion about that, I believe a year ago, kind of reliving that whole 48, 72, 96 hour period when the shit hit the fan about Donald Sterling and the aftermath of what happened after that phone call was made public. This is what uh, Ramona Shelburne had to say about the consequence of what could have happened if nothing was done concerning him. Well, here's the thing. I don't think anybody realized how close the NBA was to shutting down in response to this. Andrea Guadala is flat out on the podcast saying, I was ready to shut this down. I was ready to shut the whole thing down. The Warriors were ready to walk out. The Clippers were ready to boycott. And it was Doc Rivers 
Adam Silver and Kevin Johnson at the time, who was head of the Players Association, who kept things together just long enough for Adam Silver to ban him for life. And by the time Adam did that, everybody said, well, actually, that was that was exactly what they wanted. But if Adam Silver doesn't do that, and I don't think it would have waited one more day. I, I don't think it would have waited past that game five. If, if he didn't do that that morning, I don't think the players play. So that's what was taking place during that time. The Warriors, the Clippers, they were ready to boycott after game five of that series. No bullshit. No clowning around. No, this wasn't a threat. This was a promise. And give it to Doc Rivers and Adam Silver and Kevin Johnson to calm things down long enough for Silver to make the decision to ban Sterling, which was ultimately like, well, I mean, you know, <laughs> we we didn't think you would go that far. We are happy that you went that far, but yeah, all right, all right. We got somebody here. We got a commission, and now that's what I'm talking about. So I'm interested to see moving forward what the players have learned and what can take to the um, – to the this this current situation in terms of what's going to be going down it's going to be interesting i i would have been i don't know if the word happy is concerned i, I would have been i would have been angry and the players aren't looking to me to you know the players are judging the decisions based on what i say or what i think or what my opinion is but either way if they want to continue to play and continue to bring awareness to uh what's going on and let their voices be heard with the platform that's being presented by um playing basketball in the NBA, um, TV ratings might be down and this might be down and those things might be down, but guess what? They still have an audience and they still have a strong enough audience to voice their opinions enough to where people should still be able to continue this conversation about what this country, what this society, what this world needs to do to move forward. The internet, the NBA is a international league. So not only are players like Chris Paul and LeBron James, and Anthony Davis, and, well, Kawhi Leonard doesn't talk, and Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum, and others, given their platform right now to express, and to discuss, and voice, and give their opinions about what's going on in the world today. This is not just being, the NBA games are just not being shown. These interviews are not just being shown. This access to listening to what the NBA players are talking about. It's not just being shown in Vancouver, Wisconsin, Vancouver, Washington. This is not being just shown in Toronto, Canada. This is not this is not just being shown in San Antonio, Texas. This is not just being shown in Skidmore, Missouri. This is not just being shown in Moapa Valley, Nevada. This isn't just being shown in Miami, Florida. This is being shown all around the world. These people in Slovenia, these people in Czechoslovakia, still a country. Ah, fuck it. These uh, NBA fans who are listening and hearing these players talk in China and in Europe and in Africa and in Australia, where they can watch Joe Inglis or where they can watch Pascal Siakam or where they can watch um, Luka Dantich or where they can watch Christoph Porzingis, watch their guys play these NBA basketball games, these NBA playoff games. These people also are listening to this message. So this is a message that's not only being for the platform of playing in the NBA and playing in the NBA playoff. This is not only a platform that can be used to spread the words of racial injustice and inequality, just not to where it needs to be, which is the United the divided States of America, but also it, the message can go worldwide in terms of the message that black folks are trying to uh, get across, not just to America, but do the entire world. And the platform of playing in the NBA gives them the eyes needed, the attention that is being given 
so that it can resonate more than just the 50 states or the 48 continental states here in North America. So I, I, I get it. And then I also understand the impact it could have worldwide if the NBA decided that, you know what, we're done with the season. I mean, how big would that be? The first time that the season would be canceled and it wouldn't be because of a strike or a lockout or a, you know, a, a financial dispute between players and owners, between owners and labor in a professional sports league. So, you know, that would also garner some attention from across the from across the country and across the world. So there's a situation where you can see there's no black and white in terms of what they should do and what they shouldn't do. A lot of ambiguity in terms of the decision that was made. But either way, as long as the discussion continues, as long as they're willing to voice their frustrations, as long as they're willing not to abandon the message, not to abandon the support for the, the verbal support that they can give and not to abandon the opportunity to use the platform to spread the message of what they're trying to spread. If they use this situation to their fullest, then ultimately playing again, resuming the season, resuming the playoffs, the NBA players made the right decision. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. A very momentous, historic past 48, 96 hours, 122 hours. Interested to see what's going to be happening moving forward. Interesting to see what's going to be happening because of what's been going on in the NBA and in retrospect what's been happening in sports after uh, the announcement that was made on Wednesday, I'm recording this on a Thursday, so basically uh, yesterday about the NBA players starting off, or the NBA starting off with the Milwaukee Bucks deciding to boycott Game 5 of the their game against the Orlando Magic, which was followed by uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Houston Rockets, then the Los Angeles Lakers and the Portland Trailblazers deciding, you know what, for today we're going to go ahead and cancel these games, and I'm going to go on the assumption that uh, Thursday's games, today's games, tonight's games, uh, game six between the Dallas uh, Dallas Mavericks and the Los Angeles Clippers, game six between the Utah Jazz and the Denver Nuggets. I don't, I forgot what the, oh yeah, game one of the Eastern Conference Finals, semifinals between the Toronto Raptors and the Boston Celtics are also going to be postponed. Don't know when they're going to be rescheduled, but the impact that it had and with that decision, you had Major League Baseball, you had the WNBA, you had other sports leagues um, going ahead and canceling their games for the day, for the evening, 
and uh, in you know in solidarity with the NBA players with the NBA teams who were boycotting it's going to now lead to a discussion about the NFL the NFL is sort of kind of on the clock about okay what's their next move I'm not saying that they're going to have to one up or do better in terms of what the NBA displayed but you know for a league that again is very social conscious and wants to get a message and wants to use their platform and want to use their positions in life to make a statement about racial injustice, police brutality, criminal reform, police reform. It's going to be interesting to see what they do. The NFL season is going to be starting very soon. So this is something where they just can't, they're not going to be able to have this die down. So six weeks, eight weeks later, this is not going to be as impactful uh, what they did to have the NFL kind of slide under the radar and not really do much or do something very minimal or basically do what the NHL did. I'll get to the NHL a little bit later. Not angry, disappointed. I'll get to the NHL a little bit later. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. The genesis, though, of what really started off and how this all started in terms of the NBA deciding to cancel or do boycott or the NBA players deciding not to play in game five just started when George Hill I remember and remember I played you on my last podcast I played you some audio about George Hill and Mike Bootenholder and Chris Middleton and they had a uh, they were at the podium or they were had a microphone in front of them and George Hill made the comment man I don't even know why we're here I mean after the uh, shooting of Jacob Blake and they wanted the media wanted them to make a statement and George Hill was like yeah I'll be happy to make a statement my statement is this is bullshit this is upsetting and I don't even know why we're here I didn't want to even be here in the first place so George Hill was a guy who really wasn't on board to begin with in terms of being fully committed to going back to the bubble now I'm not suggesting that He's not giving the Bucks his maximum effort. I'm not saying that he's not doing all that he can, that he's not dedicated to help win the uh, Milwaukee Bucks a championship. But this wasn't the guy who was talking about, yeah, let's go ahead and resume the schedule. Let's go ahead and resume the season when they were in discussions about that during this pandemic, especially in the aftermath of the George Floyd situation where he was executed, where he was murdered by this domestic terrorist uh, posing as a police officer. So George Hill was basically the one who got this ball rolling in terms of coming in and saying, hey, you know what, man, after what happened in our state to another black man in a situation like this where he was shot in the back seven times, are we going to go ahead and have the situation be the same as Breonna Taylor? Are we going to have another situation where the police officer is going to be able to get away with this? That basically, you know, how they how they play this game in terms of, oh, yeah, we're investigating, we're investigating, we're investigating. And basically, they kind of hold off or basically, you know, they kind of give you that bullshit until the anger and the angst and the protesting and the marching and the speaking about it kind of goes away. Hopefully something else, somewhere else can happen or basically the attention kind of veers away from their situation and it goes to another place to where they can make a decision of, yeah, nothing to see here. The officer acted in self-defense. The officer was correct in what he was doing. The officer said he was sorry. The officer thought that he might have had a weapon. The officer uh, feared for his life. Any of the narratives that these jackasses throw out to basically let these police officers for decades get away with murder in or attempted murder of people of color in poor and black and brown communities. So kind of kind of waiting for 
kind of waiting for that. So George Hill was like, no, we got to continue to put the pressure on these folks to do something. We cannot let this dissipate in terms of the protest, in terms of the coverage, in terms of the spotlight that should be shown on this situation. So how can we play our part in making this happen? We'll go ahead and boycott the game. So, you know, basically what happened was those guys boycotted the game, but unfortunately in the situation, the Milwaukee Bucks didn't tell anybody else. The Milwaukee, including the Orlando Magic. The Orlando Magic came walking on the court for game five, and they're like, you know, referees came out, everybody came out, and everyone's like, where, where are the Bucks? Where, where's Chris Middleton? Where's Brooke Lopez? Where's Giannis? Where's, where's Kyle? Where's Dante? Where, where, where is everybody? Then they got the word that, oh, they decided they were going to boycott the game? Oh, okay, well, oh, no need for us to be here. And Orlando Magic just walked off the court and, you know, decided that, you know what, y'all down with this? We're going to be down with this. All right, let's, let's go ahead and do this. So that, you know, precipitated these guys having a meeting and the um, uh, discussion about, you know, ending the season and some other things. So as reports about this started to surface, and, you know, the Los Angeles Lakers and the other teams that were going to play, they called, they, you know, they called wind of this and said, no, okay, we're, we're, we're down with this. But, you know, you could have gave us at least a little, you know, a little heads up about this stuff. I mean, this was something to where George Hill and maybe a couple of others, Sterling Brown, maybe Kyle Corver, maybe, but certain players on the Bucks kind of were thinking about this, meandering this thought about possibly not playing but they didn't call anybody else. So it wasn't like Tuesday night or something like that or early Wednesday morning or something like that or even before the playoffs started. I mean, George Hill or none of these guys went to any of the other players or got in touch of in touch with any of the other players. It would have been nice if we would have, number one, not LeBron James, but would have gone to the president of the Players Association, Chris Paul, and said, you know, hey, you know, we're, we're thinking about not doing this. You know, how do you think that we should go about this? Or... You know, Chris, we're thinking about, you know, for tomorrow or whatever, that we're not going to be playing game five. Or George Hill should have gone to Chris Paul and said, look, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, coming up to my teammates tomorrow and saying, hey, you know what? I don't think that we should be playing the basketball game. What do you think we should do? How do you think I should go about this if we do decide? How much of a time frame do you need for the for you to get that message out to everybody else that's in this bubble so maybe these discussions could have taken place and this decision could have been made i don't know before game five on wednesday i don't know i don't i don't know when george hill even got the the notion i don't even know when george hill, i don't even know if it was george hill there's reports surfing uh, surfing that it's george hill who was the leader of the of this decision but th- there's no we haven't really heard anything concrete yet. So I don't know, man. It could have gone a lot of different ways. What's done is done. What needed to be done needed to be done. But it could have had it could it have been a little bit better? Could it have been a little bit more unified? Could it have been a little bit more um, uh, put together and those type of things? Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that it was a situation where on Wednesday, after mulling it over, there are a lot of players or some players on the Milwaukee Bucks who were just like, what the fuck are we doing? What the hell are we doing? In terms of what's going on in our state, in terms of what happened to uh, Jacob Blake, and we're still up here talking about playing a basketball game? This this ain't right. So the players got together, 
And according to NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski, this is what he said on ESPN Sports Center about um, the discussions about ending the season. Uh Michael, there, there was some polling in that meeting. This was an emotional meeting. And listen, there are a lot of perspectives on what the right course of action is. Uh, I was told that the Lakers, the Clippers, essentially in an informal poll said they were willing to end the season. These are obviously two teams who uh, believe that they have a chance to win a championship. But, but I was told by a high-ranking uh, source in the meeting uh, that this conversation is going to continue um, into tomorrow, that that certainly players, everybody in the league uh, is in a heightened emotional place right now um, that no decision has been made about how the league will go forward. I am told that it appears unlikely that the three playoff games scheduled for Thursday here in Orlando will be played. Uh, but that's the league has yet um, to announce that they are uh, postponed. But But I'm told that these discussions are going to continue. There were a lot of voices in that meeting tonight from Chris Paul, Andre Iguodala, uh, Carmelo Anthony, Kyle Korver of, w- went up and talked about the Bucks' perspective uh, in uh, their their protest today of not playing against Orlando. And Doc Rivers, uh, the head coach of the Clippers, John Lucas, an assistant uh, in Houston, all spoke tonight. Um, and this conversation uh, is going to continue into tomorrow, I'm told that there is an owner's meeting, a board of governors meeting set for 11 a.m. tomorrow morning, a special meeting that Adam Silver and the league office put together uh, to get the owners talking and trying to trying to figure out a way, Is there can we still salvage this season uh, and move forward? So it was an emotional meeting with players having a lot of perspectives about what to do next and what the right course of action is and the Lakers and the Clippers were willing to end the season but we're not willing to decide that night. And a lot of people spoke up, including Chris Paul, the president of the Players Association, Andre Iguodala, Cal Corver, explaining the reasons why the Milwaukee Bucks decided to boycott the game. Carmelo Anthony spoke. John Lucas, who's been a huge influence behind the scenes in the league, he spoke. Doc Rivers spoke about what to do next. The plan with the owners were going to meet uh, today at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time to find out exactly what was going on. And the NBA announced that the owners have been talking to the NBA PA, that the uh, NBA Players Association, Chris Paul, was at the meeting they had on Wednesday. And Wojnowski also discussed how the process was going between players, owners, everyone associated with the league. Again, speaking about the process, speaking about the ramifications, speaking about the consequences of playing and not playing both in terms of finances and also in terms of the impact that it could have. This is what Wojnowski also had to say in terms of the players and everyone talking about the process of boycotting and the ramifications and everything that could go, that could be in, uh, that could be, you know, put together and mixed together with this decision. Well, I'm, I'm told that Chris Paul tonight in the meeting, you know, one of the things that he really emphasized uh, to the players in there was, we have got to try to stay as unified as possible. When we leave this room, um, that we're unified, there's a lot of different voices. There are a lot of different feelings about how to go forward. You know, some players believe continuing to play gives them the best platform. Others, you know, there are others clearly who are ready to leave. Uh, but that's been the case from the beginning. The league's never had 
um, you know, a tidy, unanimous um, feeling about what they should do. There's too many players. There's too many perspectives. Uh, that's natural. But Chris Paul, uh, you know, certainly he led off that meeting today. And Michelle Roberts, the head of the Players Association, I'm told, laid out for the players the financial implications of ending this season, uh, not just for the rest of this season, but into next year. Because what does loom over the players is the possibility that the league can uh, enact the force majeure act where they could essentially terminate the collective bargaining agreement. That would, that would lock the players out. You might be without NBA basketball for a significant period of time. If the owners went down that road, you know, these are all the things that the players uh, in the league uh, have to work through together to decide, can they continue together uh, and, and, and resume these playoffs. So from the reporting, what Chris Paul emphasized was unity and whatever decision was made. Too many players, too many perspectives for everyone to, to eventually be happy about the decision. Understood. Understand there's players out there who are black who don't even really give a damn. I'm quite sure there's plenty of players, not plenty, but there's a decent number, maybe not a decent number, but there's players out there in that bubble. We're speaking about 12 for a team, so it's not like we're speaking about hundreds upon hundreds, but in the decision-making to continue the season, I'm quite sure there are players out there who are... Just like, I don't hate you. You know what? The guy was a criminal who raped a 14-year-old girl, and he had been arrested before, so he was a resisting arrest. So, you know what? If you resist arrest, you get shot. So I don't understand what all the uproar is all about. There's a lot of folks out there, I'm quite sure, who are very coonish and buffoonerish and house negro-ish in their, th in their thinking, who are like, I, was, I still want to play. I still want to get paid. I still want to, you know, I still want to do the thing. I still want to do a championship. There's some players who are going to be selfish in that manner. So there was never going to be a situation where everybody at that meeting, whether the decision was to boycott and go ahead and restart the season or restart the playoffs or to just end the season and say, see you later, alligator. There was never going to be 100%, 95%, 98% of the players walking out singing Kubaya, yay, 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 you know, soon and very soon we're going to see the king, you know, holding hands and acting like it's the March on Washington in 1963. But what they needed to have, and Chris Paul emphasized once again, was whatever the decision was made, no backstabbing, no this is bullshit, nobody throwing anybody under the bus, nobody expressing anger or outrage or anything like that. It's all about solidarity. Solidarity. Again, there was a discussion where some players want the play because it gave them the best platform to express their opinions. Some of the players didn't even want to be there from the beginning. Some players, I'm quite sure, just wanted to say, look, man, I don't even give a damn about racial injustice and equality. I've been in this bubble now for five weeks and I haven't fucked anybody. I haven't seen my girl. I haven't seen my wife. I haven't seen my side piece. I haven't gotten a piece of ass in a month and a half and I'm bouncing off the walls, man. I need something. I'm tired of staying here. I'm tired of being confined. I'm tired of all of this. I miss my car. I miss my luxuries. I miss my house. I miss my homeboys. I miss my routine especially now since we wouldn't even have a season so yeah man i'm ready to leave but you know so nobody was going to it would be unrealistic for chris paul and any of these guys to think that this meeting was going to solve all the problem and have everybody on the same page but even again emphasizing unity togetherness on whatever decision decision that was made. And Michelle Roberts, as Wojnarowski uh, said, head of the uh, Players Association, she explained the financial implications 
of ending the season and how it could affect their potential earning power down the road. Again, the fourth majeure. Anybody here with the fourth majeure? The possibility of the owners enacting that, which could terminate the CBA, lock the players out, and we wouldn't know exactly when we could have an NBA season. For people who are talking about what the hell is a force majeure, sounds like a French dish. Well, let me explain to you, s'il vous plaît. It permits the NBA to terminate, what the force majeure is, it permits the NBA to terminate the CBA and reduce teams' obligations to uh, pay players for games that are canceled on account of a qualifying cataclysmic event. We're going through a pandemic, so yes, this is cataclysmic. So it's a situation where, you know what, if the owners or if the players decide that, you know what, screw it, we're going to end the season and the season is going to be done. And for the first time in NBA history, that there's going to be, you know, an asterisk by the uh, year 2019, 2020 in terms of who won the NBA championship. Well, the owners then could say, well, you know what, then screw you. We're going to go ahead and we're going to obliterate the current agreement of the CBA and we're going to start all over again. And guess what? Now with this pandemic, now with what happened in China in terms of we're not getting the financial resources from that uh, situation, from from that revenue stream because of what Daryl Morey did, because of uh, all of these things, guess what? You know what? We're going to have to uh, renegotiate and it ain't going to be as pretty. It ain't going to be as fruitful. It ain't going to be as prosperous for you guys than um, if you you know, kept with the status quo of what the CBA is all about now. So I don't think, I don't, I don't think that would happen. This isn't a baseball situation. This isn't a NFL situation where there's so much animus and there's so much distrust and so much, I mean, if the word hatred isn't used, that's to say a strong dislike toward each other. And when you're speaking about the owners for baseball and the players union for baseball and the type of relationship that the NFL owners have with the um, NFL players. It's a totally different animal when we're speaking about the relationship, the working relationship the NBA owners have with the NBA Players Association. So I, I I don't think the owners would go that route. And I don't think that the players would force the owners to go that route. But you never know. So, you know, those were some of the keys to what was going to be happening. And as I mentioned before, you know, the, the, the Milwaukee Bucks and Stephen A reported on this, Stephen A Smith reported on this, and he was speaking about this, that there were a lot of players that were blindsided, that were kind of taken aback. I mean, here's LeBron James. I mean, whenever anything happens now, LeBron James stature in this world today, he's much more than a basketball player. This guy now is a public figure to the highest degree. He's, he's on the same level as presidents, he's on the same level as some of the most powerful men in the world. And whether he's an expert or not, or whether he's, you know, knowledgeable about a situation or not, most of the time, the microphone is going to be put into LeBron James' hands, especially when it comes to social issues. And he's going to be asked the questions, what do you think? What do you think? What's your thoughts and opinions about that? And he's got to give an answer, whether it's something domestic, whether it's something international concerning a sociological events. So, you know, LeBron James has a lot of responsibility in that. So, as I mentioned before, the Milwaukee Bucks coming out with this, and LeBron James has no had no indication that something like this was going to be happening. Now, as I said, the number one person in terms of the players who should have been known, who have, should have first known about any implications that the Milwaukee Bucks would be boycotting the season would be Chris Paul, because he's the president of the Players Association. He's the one 
who has the stroke. But there's other players, like I mentioned, LeBron James, who was very important that he be kept abreast and kept aware of what's going to be happening because with him being the face of the league and the league being an international brand, the fact that he can't be sounding stupid, he can't be sounding uninformed, he can't be sounding lost and dazed and confused when asked when a microphone is being put in his face from the United States, from China, from everywhere else covering the NBA all around the globe that put a microphone in his face and say, well, what do you think about this? And LeBron's like, uh, I don't know. I mean, that's not a good look for LeBron. That's not a good look for the NBA. That's not a good look for anybody. So, you know, the, the, he was kind of like, hey, man, you know, don't do not do this to me. But LeBron wasn't the only one who was kind of, I wouldn't say the word annoyed. I don't think Stephen A. used the word annoyed when they were talking about this thoughts and feelings. But he was a little bit upset and he left the meeting because he just said, hey, man, you know, you got to do a little bit better than that. Now, you made the decision. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to go by what the president of the Players Association, Chris Paul, said. We're going to... I'm going to show unity and that type of thing, but I'm not completely happy about this. So what was reported by Stephen A. was, so there was a, um, there was a vote, whether we should play or whether we should not play. Everybody took a vote. Well, the teams voted that, you know, well, we should continue to play. We should go ahead, do what we need to do with the boycott, this, that, and the other, but ultimately, you know, we should get back to finishing the season. The only teams that voted not to play and to boycott the games were the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers. That changes the entire situation because with the Clippers and the Lakers being the two best teams in the league or two of the three or four or five best teams in the NBA, two teams that are in the number two market, you have a global icon like LeBron's James who is a ratings driver, who's the one that that, that you know that, that makes everything go. If you don't have him playing, and if you don't have the Lakers in there, and if you don't have the Clippers in there, basically the two or the three or four best teams in the NBA, what does a championship really mean? So what, you're going to have the Houston Rockets play the Toronto Raptors for the NBA championship? You're going to have the Utah Jazz play the Boston Celtics for the NBA championship? What, you're going to have the, I don't know, the, the, the Denver Nuggets play the shit, play the, uh, uh, the, the Miami Heat for the NBA championship? And the only reason why the Lakers and the Clippers aren't playing because they decided to leave the, uh, the building, leave the bubble? You can't have a season like that. You can't finish a season like that. You can, but it would be a bastardized, it would be a sour taste, thought, and feeling toward all that. It's the Lakers and the Clippers not playing for the championship, that would be the same, that would be the equivalent of the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers boycotting the ML, the Major League Baseball season for the rest of the season. Like, you know, Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts and Aaron Judge and and uh, those guys walk into a meeting and say, yeah, you know what, guys, we're not just really feeling it right now. We're going to go ahead and we're going we're gonna to take our bats and balls and gloves and go home and we're going to hit the streets and we're going to do what we can to um, help with the uh, movement, help with the revolution, help with the third reconstruction that's happening in this country. Great, fantastic, wonderful, but damn, you just basically, you know, put the Major League Baseball season in terms of its relevance in the toilet and you just pulled the handle to flush it down the toilet. So interesting, interesting. A championship, again, would not mean much without LeBron, the Lakers, the Clippers, playing in it or at least 
being part of the playoffs, whether they win or they lose. So moving forward, that was the uh, that was the situation with that. Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Konnichiwa, bonjour, bonsoir, que passa, shalom, wassalamu alaikum. What's happening? What's going on? So moving forward, I don't... Uh, as I mentioned before, I'm glad that they made the decision. I'm glad that everything went down like this. I'm glad that they had the talks. I don't think it was a waste of time. There's some jackass, jackasses out there who are sitting there talking about big deal. They didn't play. They're going to reschedule. They're going to play again. So nothing was accomplished. Nothing. First of all, everything was accomplished because you fucking assholes are out there talking about it on Twitter, looking to bash these guys with their, I don't know why this was a waste of time. And again, it brought awareness. These guys are not boycotting or these guys are not playing. They're boycotting. Why are they boycotting? They're boycotting because why? Oh, because they're upset about the speed and the pace of uh, the path toward justice and equality and another situation where we do the marching, we do the rioting, we do the looting, we do all of these things of what happened in Minnesota with George Floyd and everybody sitting up there talking about we got to do better, we got to end racism, we'll do everything that we can and yet black people are still getting murdered by domestic terrorists known as police officers. So what the fuck? What do we else do we do? So that was the situation. So just boycotting because of that reason started a conversation. Start the conversation of whether they should or shouldn't they have boycotted the game. That right there is a win. Just that's just to get a conversation like that started, it's a win. If the NBA by doing this, you know, but if the NBA by doing this had it started the conversation between 10 people in the United States about should they, should they have boycotted or shouldn't they have boycotted from, you know, I started that conversation from people of different backgrounds, different thought patterns, different views. If that started a conversation with 10 people upon the millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of people who live in this country, then you know what? Fuck it. It was worth it. Because maybe the couple of those people who had that conversation, maybe that person who had that conversation and said, hey, you know what? At the beginning, I was kind of like, this is bullshit, this is nonsense, this, that, and the other. But in speaking to you, maybe this white man who had this who had this thought pattern about, hey, this is bullshit, I don't know why they're complaining, I don't know why they're protesting, I don't know why they're marching, I don't know, I mean, you know, shouldn't black folks be taking care of black folks, shouldn't black folks be, you know, more concerned about the shootings in Chicago than worried about police officers acting at their job, I don't understand that the guy was a rapist, the guy was accused of this, the guy was accused of that, so you know what, he kind of deserved what he got because he was resisting arrest, I don't understand why black people are always so uptight and always go, all so sensitive when it comes to this matter and they need to be doing this and they need to be doing that. Maybe someone with that thought pattern, after hearing what the NBA players did in terms of boycotting, expressed those views to someone who had the opposite views and said, no, 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 man. Let me educate you. Let me explain to you the reason why this happened. Let me explain to you the reason why we feel this way. Let me explain to you the reason why your thoughts and your feelings about this situation are ignorant and and uninformed. And they have that conversation. And that person becomes educated. And that person then is like, oh, okay, shit, you know, I, I kind of get it. I don't agree with everything you said, but I have a much better knowledge and understanding of where you're coming from. And then he starts a conversation with someone who looks like him and is from the same community. 
and might have the same thought pattern as he did before. So when they're out with their boys or when they're out having lunch or when they're out on the golf course or when they're out at the country club or when they're out at the gym and this conversation comes up and the guy weeks later was talking about or or his buddy weeks later is talking about the NBA and are like, yeah, you remember that joke that those guys did that you know about them boycotting and all that kind of nonsense? I told you that shit wasn't going to be leading anywhere. These guys are so this, that, and the other. These guys need to be doing this, that, and the other. And the guy who weeks ago was educated by this black man or by this man in terms of, no, this is the reason why we're doing this. No, let me educate you. Listen, learn, learn, listen, educate. This is the reason why you're doing this. Maybe that person who was educated, learn, listen, took that knowledge back to the community that he lived in, and then he educated the next person who was ignorant and uninformed and out of touch in terms of what was going down. And maybe that person then says, oh, well, yeah, okay, all right, I, I kind of see where you're coming from. You know what? Yeah, I probably was wrong about this, that, and the other. I don't think I was wrong about this, that, and the other concerning the matter, but you know, you convinced me that, you know what, I was wrong about this, that, and the other. And then that person goes ahead and explains it and then so on and so forth and so on so for the clay travises of the world and for the other ignorant fools who want to sit there or for the coons and the buffoons and the house negroes and the uncle toms and the other clowns like jason whitlocks who wants to sit up there and talk about race baiting and talk about this was a waste of time and talk about this didn't get anything accomplished for those jackasses who think that way for those idiots who think that way, for those ignorant people concerning this matter who think and feel that way and espouse their ignorance and espouse their ridiculous views on those that are their listeners who sit there and eat that stuff up because they're too stupid, they're too ignorant, they're too blind to realize what the truth is concerning this matter. Maybe, again, if it affects one person to spread the message, especially on the other side of the track, one fucking person then what the NBA did yesterday and today concerning this matter was exactly, perfectly the right thing. Absolutely, perfectly the right thing. So bravo to those guys. Jalen Brown said it best. He said it best. He's like, look, number one, Milwaukee, you don't have to apologize for when people were talking about in the meeting, when the players were talking about, damn, man, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you give us a heads up? Why didn't you let us know? Jalen Brown... Very intelligent guy. Very, very intelligent guy. Um, he got up and he said, hey, look, man, the Milwaukee Bucks, you guys don't have to apologize for what you did. We're, we're down with this. My only question is for, for you guys, not the Bucks, but for the players in the room right now. What exactly are y'all going to be doing if we decide to end the season? I mean, are you guys going to be going in the streets and the trenches and be active and visible and try to make an impact? Are you going to be out there with the protesters? Are you going to try to do everything that you can to move the situation, to move the argument, to move the discussion? Are you guys really going to be out there? Or are you guys going to go home and reunite with your families and relax and enjoy the comforts that you didn't have in the past past month? Are you just going to sit back, chill, relax, you know, get back to uh, business as usual in terms of being selfish about what you're doing and not really give notion, not really give credence, not really give your face and your time and your efforts to what's going on out there? I mean, if, if that's the case, then we might as well stay and finish the season. If you're talking about end the season, end the season, because you're sick of being in Orlando and you need to get a piece of ass and you want to get back to uh, the comforts of your own home, then what are we doing here? 
What are we doing? Why are we boycotting? Why are we uh, even thinking about boycotting the season? This bullshit. If we're going to boycott, then I want to see all you motherfuckers out there, you know, down with the cause, down with the folks, down with the people, down with the protesters, down with uh, what we need to do. So that was that was great. And I, how many, ask yourself this question, man. Seriously, ask yourself this question. How many people do you think that are playing right now are really interested in making a difference compared to like, again, it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about how much money I make. It's all about how many bitches I can fuck. It's about how many cars I can buy. It's about how many homes I can get. It's about how many ice, how, how much ice I can get. How many jewels and rings and things that I can get. Material, materialistic things. It ain't about the cause. Hey man, you know what? I got my money. I got my status. I worked hard. Where I came from or where I am now, I got mines. And, uh, you know, y'all, good luck to you with the marching and the protesting. But I'm going to go to my big house on the big hill with my big car and my and my, and my shit. And I'm just going to kick back and I'm going to relax and I'm going to enjoy the money that I'm making. I'm young, I'm dumb, and I want to enjoy what I've got. So, you know, bingo, bango. Uh, how many players in that meeting... How many players in that discussion had that mindset? And, you know, they might be out there shaking their head going, yeah, unity, yeah, equality, yeah, get together, yeah, point, you know, let's do the message, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how many of them are thinking like, yeah, fuck this shit. <laughs> I mean, if I get out of here, I'm just going to I'm gonna go home and chill. So yeah, Jalen Brown and, and some others, that's what they were, that's what they were dealing with. And again, this whole deal, this is going down in the this is going down in the history books. This might this might not be taught in a U.S. history class. This might not be taught in a high school government class or a middle school history class. But what's happening right now? You best believe this equates to everything else in terms of some of the impact. There's a strong impact that can be made on society moving forward. So I'm proud of the NBA players. Again, playing, not playing, the process which they went through to ultimately get to where we are right now, I think it's going to reverberate and have an impact, not for just days, weeks, months, and years. I think over the last 48, 96 hours, I think this is going to have a lasting effect for generations.
Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things going on in the world and in the world of sports today. ESPN is handling this. You know what? I've always said that ESPN is speaking about this, bringing in folks to give their thoughts and feelings. I'm, I'm surprised that the ESPN is showing so much coverage and speaking about this so much because according to Jimmy Pataro, who was running ESPN now, they weren't going to be talking about these type of things. They weren't going to be talking about politics. Isn't this somewhat politicky, shall we say? Everybody talks about the NFL O's. I've said this before. Everybody talks about the NFL O's Colin Kaepernick and apology, and they do for the way they treated him. When is ESPN going to admit that they owe Jamel Hill an apology for what they did for her? Now, despite the haters in the ignorant, in the fools who sit up there and want to bash or laugh at or say, oh, yeah, Jamil Hill get fi- got fired, so, you know, that justifies my thoughts and feelings about her, this, that, and the other. Now, she didn't leave. She didn't want to fire jackasses. She decided to leave so she could branch out and do other things and not be contained by the shackles that ESPN put on her in terms of, you know, you can't say this on your Twitter. You can't talk about this on your Twitter. And from that it led to the ignorant narrative that Jamel Hill and Michael Hill, Jamel Hill and Michael Smith were going on the sixth on ESPN and speaking about, you know, healthcare reform or talking about President Trump's late. Ah, bleh, oh shit. I said that man fuckers. I said his name. Bleh, bleh. I gotta wash my mouth off with soap. But the, um, the, the fucking idiot that we have in the white house right now, they didn't just, talk about his policies or they didn't talk about U.S. debt or they didn't talk about a bill that was being passed or they didn't talk about any of that stuff. They just talked about the social matters that were surrounding the world of sports and could not be ignored. And because majority of folks or some folks who are watching ESPN didn't like the uh, opinions that Jamel Jamel Hill gave in terms of the Colin Kaepernick situation, they then equated to her bringing up sports or sports and politics or bringing up politics instead of sports, taking what she said on her Twitter account to uh, equate, that's what she was saying to the masses who are watching on SportsCenter. So, you know, the the ESPN folks cowered and bowed down to the the idiots out there, just like the NFL owners bowed down to the idiots in terms of Colin Kaepernick. His narrative for kneeling was to uh, say that he hates America and all this kind of stupid stuff. I mean, you know, Dumb people really just kind of sometimes just make my head spin, make my head hurt. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So getting back to the NBA, I love me some Jamel Hill. Getting back to the NBA, uh, smart, beautiful, intuitive, intelligent. That is is one fine, all-around, fantastic black woman right there. You want to see black beauty in all forms, shapes, sizes, colors, whatever. You want to know what the definition of black beauty is in terms of the entire package. Brains, looks, thoughtfulness, caring. From the outside looking in, I never met the woman. Go see Jamel Hill. Wendell's World of Sports. All right, that's my last thing about Jamel Hill. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Her husband must be so lucky, man. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Back to sports. Back to sports. Hey, NBA coaches, players, and alumni are speaking about the current situation and the decision to boycott the games on Wednesday. Some very poignant, some very moving, some very intelligent, some very heartfelt some very thoughtful things that uh, 
that were being said by those. And it's, I'm proud, man. I am so god. I am so goddamn proud to be such a big fan of the NBA. I, I love me some NFL football. And I'm happy, 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 joy, joy, like I'm Pharrell, that the NFL is going to try. Try. <laughs> try. I'm selfish. I'm selfish. If you catch coronavirus, you catch coronavirus. I admit it. I'm immature, and I'm selfish, and I'm ignorant concerning that matter in terms of the player's health and safety. I'm of the point where it's like, yeah, if you want to play, play, play. The risk, y'all know the risk. Play, play. I don't, you know, I, I just want to see NFL football. I'm being selfish right now. I don't give a damn about your health. I don't give a damn about your family's health. I don't give a damn about any of that stuff. I just want to see you guys play football on Sunday. And if I can get one week out of you, I can get two weeks out of you, I can get 16 weeks out of you, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be happy because I absolutely love, love, love me some NFL uh, football. So the NBA, my love for the NBA is not just exclusive. And my love for the NBA isn't even as much as my love for the Georgetown Hoyas basketball program. But man, I am so unlike, except with the exception of Georgetown, unlike my unconditional love for the NFL, my love for the NBA is the same, but it's so much different. Because look, the NFL has somewhat of, even though the players in the NFL are majority, the majority of them, or a good number of them are black, and I just, when I say majority, I should say over 50%, so using the term majority as a definition, yeah, the majority of players in the NFL are black. And, you know, the NFL, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a crazy league, man. But one thing that the NFL has in terms of what it can do when black NFL players start acting stupid, when they start getting charged for domestic violence, when they get started getting charged for obstruction of justice and double murder, when they start getting charged for dogfighting, when they start getting charged for uh, driving while intoxicated and murdering somebody, all of the ills and all of the bad things that go on in the NFL, whether the player is black or white, most of the time they're going to focus it. They're going to focus it the, the the bad stuff on the black players. Um, they brought it to themselves. So, you know, y'all know the deal. Y'all know the rules. Y'all know what country you live in. Y'all know what society you live in. So you realize that if you're someone like a Ray McDavid or if you're someone like a Greg Hardy or if you're someone like a Michael Vick or you're someone like a Ray Carruth or you're someone like a Leonard Little or you're someone of that skin tone that you're going to get more uh, negative attention thrown your way than say if you were Riley Cooper or someone if you're a uh, uh, Richie Incognito or someone if you're a Josh Brown or someone if you're a Ben Roethlisberger who have also acted badly and done bad things. But the great thing about the NFL in terms of how they can present themselves, their product to the advertisers and to the fan bases and to the suburban moms and to the suburban dads and all, all across the country, whether we're speaking about rural areas, city areas, city dwellings, white ghettos, trailer parks, inner cities, you know, black ghettos, whatever, the NFL can always bring out the, the white quarterback. The NFL has always had that 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 Tom Brady. They've always had that Joe Montana. They've always had that Peyton Manning. They've always had that Drew Brees. They've always had that guy to present 
to, to white folks in terms of, hey, you know, don't pay attention to the Ray Caruso. Don't pay attention to the Ray Lewis's. Don't pay attention to the Dante Stallworths. Don't pay attention to the Greg Hardys. Don't pay attention to even the Richie Incognitos. Don't pay attention to any of that stuff. Look here, folks. Look at the shiny object. Look at Peyton Manning. Look at Eli Manning. Look at Tom Brady. These are good all-American boys. And guess what? They look like you. They sound like you. They come from the same background as you. They have, quote-unquote, something in common with you. You know, what do you have in common with Leonard Little? What do you have in common with Ray Lewis? Ray Lewis grew up in the ghetto in Miami, Florida. What does someone from... Lawrence, Kansas. What does someone from uh, Billings, Montana? What does someone from Vancouver, Washington? What does someone from Lubbock, Texas have? What What do they have in common with a Ray Lewis, with a Michael Vick, with a Greg Hardy? Nothing. But take a look at good old homeboy Peyton Manning, who went to the University of Tennessee. He still has sort of like a Southern accent. Take a look at our boy Tom Brady, right? Take a look at our guy, uh, Drew Brees, all-American guy. I mean, isn't that what your son, don't you want your son to grow up to be like Peyton Manning? Don't you want your son to have the same moral fiber and character as a Drew Brees? Don't you want to have your son be the type of guy that Joe Montana is? Isn't that great? So the NFL, and, and, and look, they're all great guys. I, I, I back Drew Brees in terms of what a great guy he is. Even when he was taking shit from the comments that he made about his stance on the national anthem, which he should have been taking the task for, which he should have had to apologize for, which he should do some making up for, no question about it. But from the outside looking in, the little that I know of Drew Brees, except for what I see in interviews and what other people talk about him and what I've seen him talking on the television, and that from, from my limited knowledge of who Drew, Drew Brees is as a person, I've come to surmise that Drew Brees is one hell of a guy. That Drew Brees is one great guy. That Drew Brees is one standout guy. That Drew Brees is somebody who I would like to be called, a, like I would like to have as a friend in terms of his reliability, in terms of, uh, you know, his ability to be to be a good guy. So this is not something to where, you know, we're not we're not... I'm not saying that the NFL has made up these characters and that behind the scenes, from all that we know, Drew Brees is a raging maniac and Tom Brady is running around beating up his wife and abusing his children and behind the scenes, uh, you know, Ben Roethlisberger, well, Ben Roethlisberger is a bad example. Behind the scenes, um, 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 you know, Jimmy, well, Jimmy Garoppolo is another bad, bad example because he's out there having sex with points, porn stars, that lucky motherfucker, Kira Marie, you son of a bitch. Um, no, but what I'm saying is the players that the NFL brings out to attract the viewers, the goody-two-shoe All-American quarterbacks, they really are goody-two-shoue All-American quarterbacks. Eli, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, they're all really good guys from what I know of. But they have that luxury. The NBA doesn't. The NBA is predominantly black. And the NBA, if they're going to be talking about this is the face of our franchise or the face of our league, this is what we're going to be bringing to advertisers. This is who we're going to be bringing to try to induce those in the rural areas and those in Appalachia and those from all over the country where there isn't any diversity. For us to introduce our sport to you, our league to you, here he is, LeBron James. Now, does LeBron James look like anybody that anybody in Appalachia or anybody in a rural area or anybody in white middle of America can relate to? 
or say, that's my guy, or say, wow, I have something in common with him? Does LeBron James from the outset look like that guy? I'm talking about not, forget LeBron James, the person, the, the picture of someone who looks like LeBron James. Do you think anybody in middle America, do you think anybody in rural America, do you think anybody who listens to Fox News, do you think anybody who listens to Rush Limbaugh, do you think anybody who listens to Michael Savage, do you think anybody who watches Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram is going to sit there and take a look at someone who looks like LeBron James and says, yeah, that's my guy. Yeah, I can see him living in the neighborhood. Yeah, sure, I can see someone that looks like him living in the neighborhood and everybody embracing him as like, yeah, that's our guy. Him and I don't know, about 5,000 5, other people that look like him or 25, 30% of the population that look like him moving into our neighborhood, moving into our community, moving into our region. Yeah, I can see us saying, hey, this is awesome. Hey, this is great. Yeah, sure. I don't think so. That's what the NBA, and it's not a crutch, it's not a problem, it's not a situation, it's not something that they have to deal with. That's not the, you know, that's not the plot in life for the NBA, but that is the NBA in terms of what they need to do. And these guys, LeBron, Kyrie, Chris Paul, KD, when he was playing, all of these superstars, Kobe, all of these guys, they're who they are. They're authentic, and they're black. I mean, they're black. They are black. They ain't Tiger Woods in terms of, you know, I mean, we all all need to get along. Yeah, I mean, you know, black people, I mean, you know, I love them, but, you know, I I mean, you know, there there is no hemming and hawing. There is no hiding. There is no pontificating in terms of, well, you know, I'm black, but, you know, no, 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 no. LeBron James and these guys who are the face of the league, they're raging black in terms of their love of who they are, in terms of who they are and the powers that they have. They are 100% aware that they are black and what that means to be black in America and what it means to be black in America where they started and where they are now. They're acutely aware and they don't give a fuck. <laughs> they don't care. They're, you know what? They're like, this is me. Take me for as I am. There's no errors. There is no, you know, making sure that I present myself as the good Negro, that I represent myself, you know, as the trained house pet that you can keep in the house. And when he needs to go to the bathroom, he'll let you know instead of shitting and pissing on the carpet. You know, he's not the good little boy that, you know, will will obey and sit when you say sit and, you know, say, here we go, boy. Come here, come here, boy. Come here. That's a good LeBron. Oh, it's a LeBron such a... Mm, I love myself, LeBron. Here, let me rub your belly, you LeBron, you. No, they, they ain't like that shit. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. No. The good Negro bullshit that, you know, that athletes, that black athletes in the 50s and 60s had to go through and all that kind of nonsense to pave the way to make sure that we could be who we were as athletes now, to be strong in our blackness and be strong in our beliefs, to be strong in who we are and present ourselves to whoever... As we don't, you know, we we thank you so much for putting up with the bullshit that you had to put up with during those times so you could now give those guys the opportunity to be who they are, which will influence those who might not be into sports to move forward and be strong and be bold and be black and be beautiful and be knowledgeable and be strong and be proud of who they are, whatever area of expertise they take their 
their their talents too. Whether it be the boardroom, whether it be the classroom, whether it be the gymnasium, whether it be the the, the office, whether it be you know picking up a ditch and digging digging ditches, whether it be picking up a broom and sweeping up floors, whatever profession you might be in, whether it be taking a wrench and fixing a pipe, whether whether it be placing roof on a on a on a home, whatever it might be, whether it be you know working at a nutrition store, whatever it might be, I don't give a fuck. You know, we thank those guys for doing that. And that's what the NBA, that's what makes me so proud about the NBA because those guys are not shy about who they are. They're not shy about this is what we're all about. And you take us or you leave us as we are. But we ain't acquiescing. We ain't bowing down. We ain't yes to Boston. And this is who we are. And I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And now... You know, led by people like people like LeBron and such, we're bringing that up even more. We're bringing awareness up even more. You know, we're thumbing our nose. We're putting up the middle finger for those who want us to just shut up and dribble, or just shut up and not be heard, or be thankful for what you've got, or try to use the narrative of, well, how do you know what's happening in the streets because you're millionaires and you live in big houses and you live on top of hills and you've got fancy cars and you've got everything that your hearts desire materialistically? How do you know what's happening in the streets of Chicago? Who? Why is it that when you fucking idiots always talk about? Black on black crime. Why do you guys always bring up Chicago? Hey, I got some new flashes for you ignorant, racist, bigoted fools out there who always want to sit there and talk about black athletes should not be talking about police brutality and all these things when over the weekend in Chicago, four black people killed another four black people. For you fucking ignorant assholes who keep bringing up the city of Chicago as your as your counterpoint to why... Black athletes shouldn't give a damn about what's happening with police brutality and the injustices that we face from white people. Guess what? They're murdering black folks are murdering folks right now in Las Vegas. Black folks are murdering black folks in Los Angeles. Black folks are murdering black folks in Seattle, Washington. Black folks are, mur are murdering black folks in Dallas, Texas. Black folks are murdering black folks all across the fucking country. So it's not like black folks are killing black folks in Chicago, but everywhere else, it's kumbaya utopia. I don't know why you stupid motherfuckers, because you stupid motherfuckers, keep bringing up Chicago. But guess what? You know who else is killing people in Chicago and in Dallas and in Washington, D.C. and in Boston, Massachusetts and in Minneapolis, St. Paul and in Portland, Maine and in Kansas City, Kansas? In Omaha, Nebraska. You know who else is killing other folks? White folks are also killing white folks. How about that? It's just not, like, it's not exclusive in terms of race on race violence. It's not exclusive to just black people. So if I can sit there and say, well, these officers who are, these, these, um, these um, NBA players who are sitting there and I don't understand why you guys are up there, you know, chasing up the police and shaming them and trying to make changes and trying to defund the police and all these type of things. I don't know why you're concentrating on those guys and you don't concentrate on what's happening in your communities in terms of black people killing black people. Well, shit, shouldn't I be asking the same thing about white folks? Shouldn't I be asking the same things about white people, right? Shouldn't I be asking Drew Brees, why aren't you going ahead and talking about in Indianapolis, why, or not Indianapolis, where does, oh, Drew Brees is from Texas. He lives in, where does he live? 
He lives in, uh, doesn't he live in, in New Orleans, right? Doesn't he make his home in the offseason in New Orleans? Or oh, whatever. Why isn't Drew Brees going down the white communities? Why isn't Drew Brees going to poor white communities? Why isn't Drew Brees going down the white communities where their communities have been ravaged because of meth? Because of white folks making meth? Because of white drug sellers who predominantly sell meth to communities of white people? And they're destroying each other. And that leads to violence. And that leads to white-on-white crime. Why isn't we? Why aren't we asking Drew Brees? Why aren't we asking Peyton Manning? Why aren't we asking Eli Manning? Why aren't we asking Sidney Crosby? Why aren't we asking any of these white superstars? Why don't they go down to their goddamn communities where white folks are killing white folks and talk to them about that shit? Because it's more than just black-on-black crime here in America. There's white-on-white crime. There's Asian-on-Asian crime. There's Hispanic-on-Hispanic crime. Crime on crime. So we can't do both. Black folks can't do both. We can't concentrate because guess what? We are concentrating on black on black crime in our cities. They're called social workers. Black folks, black athletes have given their time and their efforts to go down and try to help those communities. But guess what? You ain't going to see that shit on Fox News. And guess what? You ain't going to hear that fucking asshole Rush Limbaugh talk about it. You ain't going to hear Steve Bannon and the alt-right talk about that stuff. No. You're not going to hear that fucking asshole Alex Jones talk about that. No. Mm-mm. You're not going to hear the Washington Times or any of the Republican um, uh, uh, newspapers who are still in existence. You're not going to hear them talk about that. No. Of course not. It doesn't fit the narrative. You're not going to hear Lou Dobbs talk about that. No. No. You're not going to hear Fox and Fools talk about that. No. That doesn't fit their narrative. Doesn't fit their narrative. Doesn't fit their narrative. So, again, I am extremely proud of the black players uh, for what they're doing. And just the players in general. Black, white, uh, Slovenian, German, all the players who have really um, embraced, sincerely embraced about what's happening. I'm I'm interested to see Luka Dantich. I'm interested to see, because I'm still, despite the fact that, it, you know, Mavericks got the ass whooped on, uh, in game in game five, and Luca didn't have a you know Luca Luca game. I'm I'm still interested right now. This is awesome for Luca. I want to see because Luca needs to be learning right now. 21 years old, Slovenian, um, second year in the league. In a situation, in a moment like this, he really needs to shut up and listen. When he's on the basketball court. The Dallas Mavericks are his team. The Dallas Mavericks, that's his franchise. And it's deserved. He deserved to have that franchise. He deserved to have them. He, deserve, he deserved to be the man. At 21 years old already, Luka Doncic deserved to have um, say in who does what and who goes where and who coaches who and who does this in, within the organization. He deserves that power already within that organization. But when it comes to this, this is where Luca needs to listen and learn and educate. Because not only when LeBron leaves, are we going to need someone to replace what he did on the basketball court? We're also going to need someone to help replace what he did off the basketball court in terms of the issues that we deal with here, not just in America, not just as black people, but as society in general, as the world in general. If Luka is going to be the face of this league, 
if Luka's going to be the man, which I think that he has to make up for, which I think he has the maturity for, which I think he has the understanding for, I think he's ready. I think he's one of the chosen ones in terms of being that guy in the year 2024, 2025, 2026, 28, to be that guy. Magic, Bird, Michael, Michael, Kobe, Kobe, LeBron, LeBron, Steph, Steph, Luca. I think, I think that's right. If Luca's going to be the man, this is a time for him to learn. This is a time for him to learn about what is being done, what leadership looks like. Because when Chris Paul and all of those guys are gone, Luca might not be the president of the Players Association. He might not have that mantle. But he's going to be an important part because he is going to be the face of the league. He is going to be a recognizable figure. And I think Luca, maybe not reaching the likes of LeBron, maybe not reaching the likes of someone like a Lionel Messi or a Cristiano Ronaldo or any of those uber public figures in terms of their, uh, in terms of their um, folks who follow them and worship them and do all these things. Luca might not get to that level by the time he's 26, 27, 28, but I guarantee you he's going to be close. And he's going to be the one that's going to be having to answer the questions that LeBron is answering right now about what's your opinion on this social issue? What's your opinion on that social issue? What's your opinion about what's going on in this situation off the court? He's going to have to have the knowledge. He's going to have to have the skill. He's going to have to have the deafness to handle that. So he better get himself ready because he's going to be one of the very few that are going to have to deal with that. So I'm glad that he has examples that he can look at, like a LeBron, like a Jalen Brown, like a Andre Iguodala, like a uh, uh, LeBron James or Chris Paul, like a Carmelo Anthony. I mean, I hope somebody, I hope Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, Seth Curry, you know, Trey Burke, I hope someone right now is talking to Luca. One of the black coaches on the assistant, uh, one of the black assistant coaches for the Mavericks. I hope they're talking to him right now saying, man, listen, learn, listen, learn, listen, learn, because pretty soon you are going to be in that same situation. You're not going to be able to hide it. Anybody heard from Luca about his thoughts and opinions about whether they should play or whether they shouldn't play? No, no. Luca has thoughts and opinions. Haven't been mentioned on sports center. Hasn't been mentioned on CNN. He hasn't been able to go ahead and talk to Wolf Blitzer about what's happening with the NBA in terms of whether they're going to play or not. No one in this situation is really interested in what hearing what Luca has to say right now. They're interested in LeBron. They're interested in uh, Chris Paul. They're interested in the higher ups, the, the the those who have much more tenure as far as being in the NBA. They're interested in Doc Rivers. They're interested in other those type of folks. Very soon. It's going to swing around to Luca. All of a sudden, if something like this happens in the NBA in 2025, 2024, 2026, they're going to run to Luca. What's your thoughts? What's your opinions? This, that, and the other. You're going to have pontificators on ESPN and Fox News and Fox Sports and MSNBC and CNN and all of these media outlets. You know, the Dan Patrick radio show and the Rich Eisen, and you're going to have podcasts like mine talking about, you know, Luca and what he thought about this and what his thoughts and feelings are. They're going to now hold that weight. And that's the responsibility that he's going to have when 
he reaches that stature in terms of being the man in the NBA. So good education right now for Luca. And I hope he's listening. And I hope he's learning. And I hope he's educating himself because sooner than later, for you, Mr. Dantich, that time is going to come. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody, 2020 has been unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. So I hope everybody is using this period of time in our lives to improve, to get better, and do what we need to do to harmonize, to listen, to learn, to educate themselves moving forward. Don't do it for us, man. This ain't, my generation we're kind of setting our ways and there ain't too much movement that we can make. I'm talking about doing this for the next generation and the generation after that. Take what the previous generations, take the hard work that the previous generations have done for us to get us to the point where we are now in this society and move it along. We're not looking for solutions. We're not looking for utopia. We're not looking for quick fixes. We're not looking for any of that. We're looking for understanding and moving it along. There'll always be racism. There'll always be bigotry. There'll always be privilege. There'll always be ignorance. Always. From blacks, whites, Hispanic, Asians, everybody under the sun. What we can do through conversations, what we can do through some of the actions taken by athletes, high-profile figures, is use their example, use their platform, or use what they're doing to start a discussion. And use our intelligence, use our experience, use our environments, use the people that are in our environment, and make that environment a better place to be. That's all we can do. You know, people talk about, oh, they're fucking athletes. What the fuck do they know? This, that, and the other. I'm not looking for, well, what does LeBron James know about this? Why does he got to speak about this? This guy think he knows everything. And we're supposed to listen to a guy who didn't even go to college. He was born in the ghettos of Akron, Ohio to a 15-year-old mother. Big fucking deal. I don't understand why we pay so much attention to what he has to say. Well, because it starts a, a conversation. And a conversation, sometimes out of ignorance, can lead to a blossoming of intelligence. You know, we can, that's, that's easy. So even if you think LeBron is a overrated blowhard who don't know shit, well, that's a conversation piece right there that could eventually turn into something productive, something that's educational, something that, something that you can move uh, to help this world become a better place and in turn, the society 
20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road um, become a better place to be. If you think something is junk, take that junk and you can still make it into something that's jewelry. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Man, did you hear what Doc Rivers said, the comments that he made after Game 5 victory over the Mavericks in the Western Conference first round? These are his comments after Game Five win against Dallas about the, not just the shooting of Jacob Blake, but basically, you know, what's what's going on with the relationship between black people and white folks or those white folks in power in this country. It's just so sad. Um, you know, it, it, what stands out to me is um, just just watching the Republican revenge, uh, convention and this they're spewing this fear, right? Like all you hear Donald Trump and all of them talking about fear. We're the ones getting killed. We're the ones getting shot. Uh, we're the ones that we're denied to live in certain communities. Um, we've been hung. We've been shot. And all you do is keep hearing about fear. It's it's amazing to me why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back. And it's just, it's really so sad. Like I should just be a coach. And it's so often reminded of my color you know, it's just really sad. We got to do better, uh, but we got to demand better. Like we got, you know, it's, it's funny. We protest and they send riot guards, right? Uh, they send people in riot outfits. They go to Michigan with guns and they're spitting on cops and nothing happens. The training has to change in the police force, the unions, have to be taken down in the police force. My dad was a cop. I believe in good cops. We're not trying to defund the police and take all their money away. We're trying to get them to protect us, just like they protect everybody else. Uh, I didn't want to talk about it before the game because it's so hard, like just keep watching it. That video, if, if you watch that video, you don't need to be black to be outraged. You don't you need to be American and outraged. And how dare the Republicans talk about fear? We're the ones that need to be scared. We're the ones having to talk every to every black child. What white father has to give his son a talk about being careful if you get pulled over. It's, it's just ridiculous. And, and it just keeps getting, it keeps going. Uh, there's no charges. Breonna Taylor, no charges, nothing. All we're asking is you live up to the Constitution. That's all we're asking for everybody, for everyone. Thank you. The most poignant thing from that audio was it's amazing why we keep loving this country. This is what this is what River said. It's amazing why we keep loving this country and this country does not love us back.
That's that's for real. And that's the truth. And for those reading in the comments, reading the trolls on Twitter, reading the ignorance from uh, what he said, oh man, Doc Rivers is the millionaire. He lives in a gated community. What the fuck does he know about suffering? What the fuck does he know about slavery? What the fuck does he know about oppression? What the hell does he know about um, being segregated and all these other things? No, he hasn't faced any racism. I mean, this guy's a multimillionaire. He lives in Winter Park, Florida. You know, this, that, and the other. What the hell does he know about any of that nonsense? He's too rich to uh, be the victim of racism. He's too rich to know what racism is all about. He's been... You know, away from the struggle too long. He's been away from the ghetto too long. He's been away from poverty too long to really experience racism. What the hell does he know? Doesn't he know that if he just tries hard? And doesn't he know if, you know, if he reaches a certain status, financial status in life, that there's no racism and that he'll be fine? It's only those jackasses who, 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 um, uh, resist arrest or these guys who commit crimes or these guys who do all these bad things. They're the ones who will face the punishment that they deserve because it's not racism. It's because of uh, they're doing something wrong. So Doc Rivers is out of touch and Doc Rivers, especially blaming the Republican Party. How dare he and all this type of stupidity? Well, for those idiots who actually think that, you, you've realized, number one, Doc Rivers being a black man has faced racism just because of the fact that he's uh, at a certain age to where it was pretty commonplace and legal in certain areas to discriminate against black people. It was almost lawful. It was almost willfully, you know, right there that you could discriminate. So that's one thing that you're completely missing. But for those who want to sit there and talk about, well, you know, when you reach a certain financial status that you are immune to being the target of racism or that because you're so rich that you, if you are the target of racism, that you really shouldn't care about it or it really shouldn't be a big deal to you anyway. Doc Rivers has faced racism many times throughout his life. In fact, Doc Rivers met his wife, Chris, while playing college basketball at Marquette. And as we know, Doc Rivers is black. His wife, Chris, is white. And according to a 2014 Orlando, Orlando Sentinel story, Chris, Doc Rivers' wife, had her tires slashed and had racial slurs scrawled on the sidewalk in front of her parents' house. And Doc, Chris, and their four children were at the time, or a little bit later on, when they were living in San Antonio, there was a suspicious fire, many believe, fueled by racial hatred, destroyed the family's home. So Doc Rivers and uh, his wife and their four children, they had their house burned down in a racial arsonist attack. The home was burned to the ground, destroying the family's uh, keepsakes and killing the dog Chris had given Doc as a gift. The fire happened when uh, Rivers was away at a golf tournament and Chris and the kids were visiting the family in Wisconsin. So for, for those who want to sit there, the, the persons or person who set the fire were never arrested. So for the fucking idiots out there who feel that, you know, hey, when you reach a certain status in life, or when you reach a certain financial status in life that you can hide from racism, that you can, you know, get yourself out of racism, or that even if you are the victim of racism, it really doesn't mean anything to you, or if you reach a financial stature in life that you should then not care about those who are suffering the brunt of this country's racism, you guys are fucking morons. Congratulations. You guys are ignorant completely ignorant when it comes to this situation. Black folks, time and time again, have tried to educate you on this, but you jackasses still are too lazy, are too intellectually stupid, 
concerning this matter to realize the situation. So I thought what River says was unbelievable. What the most poignant, though, here on Wendell's World of Sports, the podcast, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, Bonjour, Boswell, Kipasa, Konishiwa, Wassalamu alaikum, Salam. The most poignant, moving, and heartfelt comments were made by TNT play by play man Chris Weber, who gets clowned on a nightly basis on Twitter for his play by for his um, his commentary or his calling of the game. But the comments C Webb made about the games for Wednesday being boycotted were some of the most moving, heartfelt, touching uh, comments that I I've heard in a long time concerning this matter. Well, EJ, it was uh, reported that four years ago, today, in a preseason game in Wisconsin, the Kaepernick first took a knee. No, this has never happened before, but I'm sure that Dr. Harry Edwards, Dr. John Carlos, Arthur Ashe, Jackie Robinson, and others have been praying for this day. Shout out to Kenny that walked off. I wanted to have a voice in here because I feel like we only have the same couple voices talking during these times. So it's very important for me to come over here. I keep hearing the question like, what's next, what's next? Well, you got to plan what's next. You have to figure out what's next. Um, I'm very proud of the players. I don't know the next steps. Don't really care what the next steps are because the first steps are to garner attention. And they have everybody's attention around the world right now. Then leadership and others will get together and decide the next steps. So we know it won't end tomorrow. We know that there's been a million marches and nothing will change tomorrow. We know vote. We keep hearing vote. Everybody vote. But I'm here to speak for those that are always marginalized. Those that live in these neighborhoods where we preach and tell them to vote and walk away. Charles Barkley came to my high school. Just seeing him in the locker room, seeing his hands and his body, that inspired me. You can't see something. You can't be something until you see it. And when I tell you the little kids that have called me upset, I have a godson that has autism and I just had to explain to him why we aren't playing. I have young nephews that I've had to talk to about death before they've even seen it in a movie. If not now, when? If not during a pandemic <laughs> and countless lives being lost, if not now, when? That's, that's all I just want to hear from the rest of the night while everybody's pontificating and thinking and soapboxing and all of that. We know nothing is going to change. We get it. If Martin Luther King got shot and risked his life, Mega Evers, if we've seen this and all of our heroes constantly taken down, we understand it's not going to end. But that does not mean, young men, that you don't do anything. Don't listen to these people telling you don't do anything because it's not going to end right away. You are starting something for the next generation and the next generation to take over. Do you have to be smart? Yes. Do you have to make sure that you have a plan? Yes. Do you have to be articulate about that plan? Yes. All of those things. But that's what you're going to do. They're professionals. They know how to be the best of themselves. And so I applaud it. I applaud it because it is the young people. It is the young people leading the way. And I applaud them. In the name of the Fab Five and Ed Martin, that was fantastic. That was, I mean, how could you not be moved 
after hearing that. That that was from that was just that was just fantastic. If not now, when? If not during a pandemic and countless lives being lost, if not now, when? We understand it's not going to end. But does that mean, young men, that you should not do anything? Don't listen to those people telling you don't do anything because it's not going to end right away. You are starting something for the next generation and the next generation to take over. Do you have to have a plan? Do you have to be smart? Yes. Do you have to make sure you have a plan? Yes. Do you have to be articulate about that plan? Yes. All of those things. But that's what you're going to do. They're professionals. They know how to be the best of themselves. And so I applaud. I applaud it because it is the young people leading the way. Brought up Charles Barkley about, you know what, if you want to reach for something, you have to see it. You have to feel it. You have to be there. He talked about, you know, how they killed Martin. They killed Medgar. They killed others. Um, for those who fought and scratched and clawed for the freedom and equality of others, for black folks, he, it was it was it was awesome. And my biggest take my biggest takeaway from what he said brilliant, brilliantly was what my generation and the generation right below me are doing right now. Well, look, we're we're continuing to lay down the foundation for the future generations of the world. Again, this is my gift. What I'm doing, what we're doing, what we should be doing. When we're out there marching, when we're out there protesting, when we're trying to have conversations with those to try to educate them on what's going on, when I'm trying to speak to the youth of America or to Clark County who don't look like me, who aren't from the same background as me, who might not see people like me, I'm trying to present the best me because sometimes when I go to these rural schools, man, when I go out to these places where they don't have any black folks or hardly any black folks, I understand some of the obstacles I'm going to be facing in terms of, look, their views of me are going to be based on what they see on Fox News or what they hear on right-wing radio or what they what their parents are telling them or what they see as far as the media giving us, giving them what their impressions of black folks are, you know, what they, what they are. It is my responsibility when I walk into the classroom and I see these 10-year-olds 8-year-olds, 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 18-year-olds who are predominantly white or Hispanic. I have to go in there and let them know that, hey, man, I am a black man who is proud, who is articulate, who is intelligent, who don't take no shit, who is strong, who is understanding, who is uh, all of those things. And I ain't your boy in it. I ain't yo nigger, I ain't no yo nigger, yo, I ain't any of that shit. My pants ain't sagging, my hair ain't braided, there aren't any tattoos on my arm, none of that kind of stuff. None of that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that, you know, that one way is more blacker than the other, or you ain't black if you're looking this way, or sounding this way, or talking this way, or living this way. I'm not saying any of that shit. But what I'm saying is sometimes, not just white folks, but also black folks, have the tendency to kind of pigeonhole what a quote-unquote real black man is supposed to be or what a real black person is supposed to be, how he's supposed to sound, how he's supposed to act, how he's supposed to dress, how he's supposed to walk, how he's supposed to talk, how he's supposed to sound, his intelligence level, all of those things. What is he good at? What, his, what are his strengths? You know, we have been defined in the most horrendous ways, not just from white America, but in some cases, our own community. 
And I, when I walk into these classrooms and I see these kids, I have to let them know that, yes, I am a black man. Just as I'm, I'm just as black and I'm just as strong and I'm just as proud and I'm just as black as the folks that you see that Fox News and these other jackasses try to present to you in terms of this is what a black man should look like. This is the way a real black man should act. This is the way a real black man should sound. So that's my part, among other things, in terms of what I'm trying to do to move this society towards harmonious, toward harmony and unity and brotherhood and understanding and love and peace amongst everybody, amongst everybody. You know, so that that's my deal. And Chris Weber, that's what he's saying. Look, you know, me going to these schools and doing this, that, and the other, I don't expect at the end of the day, the folks are going to be running out talking about, oh, now I've seen the light, now kumbaya, and now I have a whole new, uh, I have a whole new uh, viewpoint of what black folks or white folks or Asian folks or Hispanic folks or poor folks or rural folks or inner city folks are all about. Woohoo! Thank you, Mr. Wallace. Within six hours, my life has changed completely. I'm not, that's not my deal. I'm not doing this podcast for people to listen to my podcast. And when I'm done, they, when I'm, when they're done listening to my podcast, they go, woohoo, I've seen the light now. I've got it. Oh yeah. Now I'm ready to go out there and end racism. I'm ready to go out there and end uh, oppression. All right, here we go. I'm, that's not, I'm not listening. I'm not looking for everybody who listens to this podcast to see the light. I'm not, that's not worth the reason why I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I'm trying to play my part and try to move this society in the right place. And I try to do it through sports as far as talking about what's going on in the world of sports. But when real life issues permeate what's happening in the world of sports and it affects what's going on in the world of sports, I made my piece about what I thought about the Jacob Blake situation on my last podcast. I was ready to move on and start talking about it. I had everything I was going to talk about. If you listen to the end of my podcast, I was ready to talk about the Brooklyn Nets going after Greg Popovich and I was ready to talk about uh, you know, um, um, Indiana Pacers firing their coach. Uh, oh my goodness gracious. Man. Nate McMillan firing Nate McMillan and moving on to Mike D'Antoni and I was going to talk about that and I was going to talk about you know the situation with Portland and the Lakers and the Lakers moving forward and continue to slurp Luka and have the Los Angeles Clippers found their mojo and talk about the series between the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors and I was going to go ahead and talk about the NFL and what some of the great storylines were going to be for that and you know what Tom Brady going to be doing in, in uh, Tampa Bay and who's going to be winning the AFC and NFC South and can Patrick Mahomes continue to do a thing and can Lamar Jackson continue to improve and you know the excitement that the Los Angeles that the Las Vegas community has with the Los Angeles Raiders coming into town and playing I was ready to talk sports 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 I want to talk about sports 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 I want to talk purely about sports 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 I wish man how awesome would this society be if Players, the only thing they needed to do was to shut up and dribble, shut up and catch the football, shut up and hit a tennis ball, shut up and punch somebody in the face, shut up and put somebody in a near, near uh, rear naked choke, shut up and just talk about sports on my podcast. That would be awesome. I, w- I would love it. It'd be great. But it's not the way. 
not the way. So like Chris Webber is talking about when he was saying about, you know, this is for what we're doing now and for the young folks, Stan Van Gundy, excellent job in espousing that also. Not as well as Chris Webber, but he did a great job um, making, you know, talking his viewpoints. This is not for our generation. What we're doing now is not for us to end racism next year. The election of Joe Biden, God, please, is not going to automatically have racism disappear. It didn't when Barack Obama, Barack Obama was the president for eight years. And we saw the black backlash from uh, folks concerning that. We, we saw uh, the vengeance of folks of how dare you elect a black man president of the United States, not once, but twice. We saw the damage that was done in that situation. So, you know, if Barack Obama couldn't magically make racism disappear, if Martin Luther King couldn't magically make racism dis- disappear, if John Lewis couldn't make racism magically disappear, then if, you know, Sam Cooke and Otis Redding and James Brown and Thurgood Marshall and... Chuck D, a public enemy, and all of these other folks who've had strong influences on the white community and on white society through their blackness, if they can't end bigotry, oppression, racism, police brutality, criminal injustices and such, then Joe Biden sure ain't going to do it. Kamala Harris sure ain't going to do it. Uh, Whoever we elect uh, to run the Senate and the House Democrat, Republican, majority, who, whatever, they ain't going to be able to do it. They ain't going to be able to do it in four years. They ain't going to be doing it, be able to do it in eight years. You give those people 80 years, they ain't going to, well, 80 is pretty If you give those folks 16 years, they ain't going to be able to erase it. But it's the slow grind, man. It's the slow move. I'm not expecting racism at the end of my lifetime. But the one thing that we could do is moving along. And that's the message that uh, Doc Rivers was saying. And that's the message that Chris Webber was saying. That's the message that the Milwaukee Bucks players, black and white, are saying. That's what the players in the NBA bubble, black and white, European, Asian, whoever, that's what they're saying. This ain't about the now. This ain't about the near future in terms of what we're doing, in terms of Everything that black folks and some white folks or white allies and Hispanics and Asians are doing and gay folks and everybody else. That's not what we're looking for in terms of a quick fix. We know we're not going to do that, but don't give up, man. Do not give up. Continue to move. Continue to work. Continue to learn. Continue to educate might not work for us. We might not see the fruits of our labor. Martin Luther King said, I might not be, I'm, we're going to reach the promised land. I might not get there with you, but one day we are going to reach the promised land. And we keep doing what we're doing. We keep trying to do what we're doing. And we keep marching on. The NBA players, the Major League Baseball players, the MLS players, They keep doing what they're doing. NASCAR, they keep doing what they're doing, contributing. It won't be for us, but eventually, if the good Lord decides to keep this world around for a little bit longer, a couple of more centuries, we'll get there. (laughs) 
Konnichiwa. Que pasa, mi amigos? Bonjour, bonsoir, monsieur, mademoiselle. Comment allez-vous? Très bien, merci, vous-même. Assalamu alaikum, my brothers and sisters. Shalom, my brothers and sisters. Love, peace, unity. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Very much appreciated. Always therapeutic. Always great for me. I hope it reaches somebody. I hope it touches somebody. I don't give a fuck whether you hate it or not like it. I just want you to think about it. I'm not presenting this for you to be like, wow, that Wendell is just so smart and he's so right on and he's so right about everything and wow, this, that, and the other. That's not my intention. That's the reason why I don't do these podcasts. I would love to have people listen to my podcast, call me a fucking race-baiting asshole idiot, and then start the discussion of why I'm a race-baiting asshole rambling idiot. And maybe it's a situation where you guys listen to it and the person might be, "Eh, you know what, he's an asshole, he rambles, Yeah, but you know what, some of the shit that he's saying, I kind of understand. Some of the shit I'm a little bit more intrigued about. Maybe I'll learn a little bit more, or maybe I'll look into it a little bit more, which in turn will help me be more educated. I mean, maybe that, that Wendell Wallace, is Wendell's world that is Shalom, you know, Asalama, what the fuck is this, what the fuck is he talking about? This guy does these goddamn five-hour podcasts just talking about bullshit and rambling about bullshit. Listen to this. Then they play for somebody, and the guy might be, well, I mean, you know, it ain't my cup of tea, but... I got to disagree with you about you blasting him for what he said about this, that, and the other. I think that you're, you know, I think you might be a little bit off. Now, the rest of that stuff, Wendell's full of shit. The rest of that stuff, I agree with you. I mean, that's that's a stupid motherfucker on that one, on that point, this, that, and the other. I don't know why that guy's up there calling people dumb and morons and ignorant when he's talking some shit like that. So I agree with you on that point. Wendell is just, boo! But on that one point where he was talking about, you know, harmonizing, getting together, unifying, and why the Milwaukee Bucks did this, or, you know, the reason why the NBA players are doing that, or this, that, and the other. I, I, I kind of see where he's coming from, and that might start a discussion. And that might start a discussion where people are learning. So, you know, that's the reason why. That's the reason why, man. That's the reason why. I put that stuff out there. It's not for you to slobber all over me and talk about what a wonderful human being I am. It's to start a discussion and to help you out. It's my way of trying to move the society. Getting pumped because I'm on the background as I'm doing my podcast from my humble town home here in North Las Vegas on another 100 plus degree day at around 11.30 in the morning. Have making it plain the documentary about Malcolm X. It's about two hours long and it's awesome and it's fantastic. And nothing gives me more juice, nothing gives me more motivation, nothing gets me more fired up to talk about the things that I'm talking about concerning the world of sports and real life issues than have my man Malcolm X in the background talk about what's happening. Because we're living in a society today in terms of the third revolution. We're more Malcolm X in terms of the attitude that black people have moving forward than we are what many people perceive as Martin Luther King's you know, I have a dream, all kumbaya, peace, you know, through nonviolence and all that kind of stuff. That's not what we're doing now. That's not what we're all about now. We're not appeasing. We're not acquiescing. We're not hoping not to hurt white people's feelings. We're not 
we're not we're not in that mindset right now. We've been there, done that, not happening. Now we're about Malcolm, man. Now we're, we're about by any means necessary. Now we're about the ballot or the bullet. Now that's what we're all about. We're no longer concerning about what folks who don't agree with us think. We just don't give a damn anymore. We just don't. And it's wonderful. Love it. And really, that's the way to uh, move things. There's all different kinds of ways to move things. We've tried the peaceful, hey, this is great. This is wonderful. We're going to mix in a little Malcolm with our Martin and see where that gets us. So there you go. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. Let me end the podcast with this. want to give a shout out. want to give a special dedication to all of the um, sports leagues who decided that, you know what, we're going to go ahead, we're going to show solidarity with the decision made by the Milwaukee Bucks and by the NBA in terms of boycotting their games. So I want to give a special dedication to Mookie Betts and to Clayton Kershaw and others of the um, Los Angeles Dodgers who decided that, you know what, we're not going to be playing the game, their game between them and their hated rival, the San Francisco Giants. I want to give a shout out, special dedication to the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds, the Seattle Mariners and the San Diego Padres. Want to thank them very much for um, doing that. And we're look, we're not, I don't want you guys to end the season. And I'm not talking about all of that. I've just, that show of solidarity means, it should mean a, a, a lot to the NBA players and to the NBA community. Uh, for doing what you did. Um, the three games were postponed. The games are going to be made up as a doubleheader on Thursday. Get that this, There could be a possibility that the other games around the majors could be affected on Thursday as I'm doing this podcast. I haven't heard anything about it yet. And this is one day before Major League Baseball was set to celebrate Jackie Robinson Day, which was postponed from April by the coronavirus pandemic. I don't think you could honor the legacy of Jackie Robinson any better than for Major League Baseball to boycott games on his day to bring about awareness for racial equality and bring out the awareness of racial injustice and police brutality. I think Rachel Robinson, I mean, I would first I would run it by, if I'm Commissioner Rob Manfred, I would run it by his widow, Rachel Robinson, to see if that's a good idea. But Looking up from the heavens above, man, I'm, I'm quite sure Jackie would be like, fuck yeah, man, do it, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be awesome. This is a man less than two weeks before he died, a man who basically gave his life for the struggle of black folks and for the justice of black folks. His legendary battles with Malcolm X in terms of their philosophies and thoughts and opinions, those two hated each other. Malcolm thought that uh, Robinson was a tool for the white man, and Robinson thought Malcolm was a blowhard who was speaking shit that he didn't know of. Both were right, both were wrong. But I digress. You know, Jackie Robinson, at the beginning of the first World Series game between the Baltimore Orioles and the Cincinnati Reds, I believe it was in 1971 or whatever. I think he died in 70, somewhere around there. You know, he was... He had to be kind of pushed a little bit to get out there and make a speech because he was going to talk about, hey, yeah, baseball, wonderful, fantastic. He just got up there and he said, hey, you know what? I'm very proud to be here. About I'll be even more proud and more privileged to be here when I can look across in that dugout and see the manager of one of these teams as a black man. See ya. And that was off. He exited the stage. And as I mentioned before, he died a few weeks later. So I think in a situation like this, if the if Major League Baseball, they don't have to. I'm not saying... 
they're bad guys if they don't. But man, if baseball wanted to really, you know, do something in terms of really putting it down, to boycott the games on Jackie Robinson Day, I think would be absolutely tremendous. Wendell's World in Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A special dedication to the Major League Baseball players, special dedications to the WNBA, the Atlanta Dream Player Elizabeth Williams announced that the WNBA players are standing in solidarity with our quote-unquote brothers in the NBA and will also not play. Um, the ESPN2 broadcast showed players from the six teams scheduled to take the court in locked arms and kneeling while wearing shirts spelling out Jacob Blake's name. Fantastic ladies. Love the ladies of the NBA. Beautiful women. Beautiful women who are smart, who are intelligent, who are thoughtful, who are educated Awesome. Awesome, man. Awesome. That league is getting better. I'm still not a, you know, a big WNBA fan, but just in terms of what they're doing, just in terms of them showing their strength. Hey, man, there ain't nothing better. The, there ain't nothing better for a black man than a black woman. There ain't nothing better for a white man than a white woman. There ain't nothing better for any man than a woman. Not standing behind, standing side by side. That's what I'm talking about. In some cases, brothers and sis, brothers, let's kind of be let's kind of be real with things. Sometimes, a lot of times, and a lot of issues, the women need to be in front, while the men need to be kind of tagging along. I mean, let's be real, all right? Here, you know, we so, but but for me, you know, I mean, never should a woman be behind a male in anything. At the very least, side by side. So, especially if you're a black woman, strong black women, whew, the most sexiest things walking this earth. A strong, intelligent. Black woman who knows herself is the most attractive, sexy thing walking the face of this earth. For me. For me. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. We'll also give out a special, 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 special dedication to Naomi Osaka. Man, I'm so proud of her. Not like she really cares, but man, I am so proud of her. Man, she announced on Tuesday she wouldn't play in the WNS semifinals in protest of the Jacob Blake shooting several hours later the tournament announced that it was pausing play for the day she had announced Osaka had announced her intentions on social media she said she wrote on a post Wednesday night before I'm an athlete I am a black woman I am a black and as a black woman I feel as though there are much more important matters at hand that need to be immediately that had that need immediate attention Rather than watching me play tennis, I don't expect anything drastic to happen with me not playing. But if I can get a conversation started in the majority white sport, I consider that a step in the right direction. Oh, Omi! I have been, I have been waiting for this. I've been waiting for Naomi to take that step. I mean, as much as I wanted to root for her, and I, she's a tremendous talent. She's a, from what I I can see in the little that I know of her, she seems to be a really good person. But it's like I was like, man, you have you have the ability right now to be the face of tennis. Serena ain't gonna be around forever. Serena, looking for someone who's gonna be that standard bearer in women's tennis, and it shouldn't be sixteen now, sixteen year old Coco Golf. She ain't ready just yet. She has the makeup to be. She has the character to be. She has the potential to be that superstar, to be that 
that that that generational superstar the be to have that influence that the Williams sisters had that possibly not only just the Williams sisters but Martina Navratilova and Billie Jean King and Althea Gibson Coco Golf has that mental makeup as of right now from what I see to have the potential to be in that same lineage the same with Naomi Osaka too but it was just a matter of man girl when are you going to grow up you know, because there was just too many times that she showed mental weakness. Not so much on the tennis court, but does she want to be the best player in the world? Does she want this responsibility? It was a matter of her immaturity showing through at that time. Look, she was young. I mean, you know, her, I'm not saying her background was dire or anything like that. But, you know, her background was what it was. But, man... It was always like, you know, it was always like something missing. And I always question, like, does she want to be? Does she want this responsibility of being the best tennis player in the world and everything that comes with it? Does she want all of the, the I mean, she wants the good things. I mean, she wants the endorsements that come with it. She wants the love and adulation that comes with it. She wants the ability financially to do whatever she wants to. She wants that part of the gig of being the number one tennis player in the world. But with that yin comes that yang. Which is the negative? Which is the scrutiny? Which is, you know, the criticism? Is she ready for that? Which is the responsibility of being the face of women's tennis? Which, like LeBron, like Kobe, like others, you're going to be faced with situations which are going to be uncomfortable, which are going to be challenging, which you have to be prepared, which you have to be mentally strong. Would she be willing to do that when herself, she had mentioned many times that, my goodness, I can't go on social media sometimes because... I might see a thousand things of people, I might see a thousand posts where people say, Naomi, we love you, you're the greatest, you're wonderful, you're awesome, you're my hero. And then I get all bummed out and go crying in the corner if I heard, see one person say, Naomi, you suck. I mean, you know, but this right here shows me that, yes, she's ready to take that step because she knew, she knows what's coming. Go check out her Twitter account. Go check out the replies under what she said. A lot of folks from uh, Asian countries chiming in. I don't know what they're saying because it's written in Mandarin or whatever the language is. But um, the, um, the, the, um, some of the comments are pretty vicious. And her ability to go ahead and know what's coming, but still being strong enough at this period of time to say, fuck it, I'm going to do it anyway. Yes, 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 yes. For Naomi Osaka fans. That's like, okay. She's ready. If I'm Serena, I'm like, oh shit. Hmm. hmm, hmm. <laughs> I'm trying to win this 24th Grand Slam championship. Oh shit. Oh, she's starting to get it now. Naomi's starting to now kind of like, kind of like getting it. You know, it's like when Roger Federer, when he was young and this, that, and the other, and he was a hothead and he was immature. And the players that he was playing against said, boy, when this guy finally re finally realized how good he is and he grows up and he matures, we're all in trouble because no one's beating, the, beating that guy with the talent that he has. So when that light bulb goes on, uh, I'm getting out of here because my chances of winning uh, are zero. So it's the same thing now with Serena. It's like, look, I mean, you know, even in her state right now, I had a hard time beating her. Now, all of a sudden, that level of maturity now that she's reached to where now she has that championship mentality. She had that championship pedigree. She had that championship in her strength. She had that conviction. She had that belief in herself as a person, as a tennis player. 
moral fiber, moral character. Uh-oh. I'm in trouble. So, man, I am so proud of Naomi Osaka. I am extremely, extremely proud. Good for you, girl. You do your thing. Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. So, I'm very happy with the... Um, but those sport leads and those athletes who have decided to stand together with the NBA in terms of, you know, making a stand, showing their appreciation. I'm very disappointed, though, in the NHL. Very disappointed in the, in the NHL. On Wednesday night, the league held a moment of reflection before the Stanley Cup playoffs game before uh, between the Boston Bruins and the Tampa Bay Lightning before Game 3. Video screens in the Toronto area had a large graphic that read, and racism, of course, that was in an empty arena. The public address announcer said to the empty arena, racism has been embedded in our society for far too long today and every day. The NHL and the hockey community are committed to the committed in the mission to combat racial, in, racial injustice and achieve a fair society for all. Then they dropped the puck and started playing. The NHL would like to take this moment to wish Jacob Blake and his family well and call out to our fans in an empty arena and communities to stand up for social injustice and the effort to end racism. Oh, isn't that nice? And then they dropped the puck and then they started playing. Oh, I'm sorry. And a moment of silence of around seven seconds followed. And another pregame ceremony was scheduled for the Colorado-Dallas game in Edmonton, Alberta later Wednesday evening. Um, hmm, pretty empty, pretty empty. Now, as I'm recording this, I don't know exactly what they're going to do moving forward, so I'm not going to blast them in terms of they're insensitive. I'm not going to go the route of, I think these guys are bigots. I don't think they're racist. I don't think they don't care. I don't think that they're cruel. I don't think that they don't give a damn. I'm not saying any of that. I'm quite sure that the players, the high majority of these players are sitting there talking about, yeah, man, I mean, you know, What's happening is fucked up. I mean, what's happening is wrong. We don't condone it. We don't like it. We don't accept it. We don't do any of this stuff. And we do want to have a part in terms of what we could do to help um, and racism. So I'm not, I'm not questioning the players. I'm not questioning the league. I'm not questioning Gary Bettman, the commissioner. I'm not questioning any of their guys in terms of their sincerity in wanting this world to be a better place for everybody. But what I am going to question is, look, man, if y'all are so behind the curb on what's happening in terms of what you should be doing, being so late to the party and what you should be doing, I kind of have to question your your vigor. I have to question your, your uh, motivation, your passion to how much you really want this to do. How much are you willing to sacrifice? Don't say, don't, don't say it. Be about it. You know, if you want to show me how committed you are, sacrifice something. Do something. I'm not asking the NHL players to boycott the season. And I'm not even asking the NHL players or the majority of his players to have the same passion or, or desire or feelings that the black players in the NBA do. I don't, I don't think, again, the, the NHL should cancel the season like the NBA was thinking about. Just show the rest of the world and your fans that you care more about the situation than you've been showing. That's all. That's all I want to see. I'm not asking you guys to go out and start burning and looting and wearing Black Lives t-shirts and throwing up the power fist sign and start, you know, 
and start uh, quoting Malcolm. I'm not asking you to do all those type of things. I just just give me a little bit more of that that you care. Show some solidarity. Baseball shows some solidarity with the NBA players. The MLS has shown solidarity with the NBA players by what they've been doing. Show me that you care. Show me that you care. Minnesota Wild defenseman Mike um, uh, Dumba, a founding member of the player-based Hockey Diversity Alliance. I mean, how many black folks are in hockey anyway? About seven. He said about he said he knew about the NFL pregame plan and said he was disheartened by the response by the league and the players. What he told Sports 650 in Vancouver. Oh, Vancouver. What he told Sportsnet 650 in Vancouver on Wednesday. NHL is always last to be party on these topics. It's kind of sad and disheartening for me and for members of the Hockey Diversity Alliance, and I'm sure for other guys across the league. But if no one stands up and does anything, then it's a same. Then it's the same thing. That silence. You're just outside looking in on actually being leaders and invoking real change when you have such an important opportunity to do so. San Jose Shark Evander Kane, my favorite player in the NHL, said it's great to write statements. It's great to send tweets. It's great to post stories and pictures on Instagram. But at the end of the day, it's going to be about real action and meaningful change. And unfortunately, that still isn't occurring and we need it to be better. I just, he's right on the money. And again, don't put this all in the lap of the black players, man. This is more than a black player issue. Where's Sidney Crosby? Where's Alex Ovechkin? Where's Patrick Kane? Where's Evanny Malkin? Where are these guys? Players were claiming that, well, I mean, you know, we didn't know and it became kind of late and late and, you know, you heard folks talking about Austin Matthews. You heard folks talking about, well, you know, we really didn't realize that it was this bad. We didn't realize that, you know, it was this out of control. Come on, man. I can't buy that bullshit. Come on, Pat. Sidney Crosby has been playing in the United States for 15 years. Alex Ovechkin has been playing in the United States since 2005. Patrick Kane was born in Buffalo, New York, and has played in Chicago for over a decade. You know, Malkin's been in the U.S. since 2006. Don't sit there and talk about, really? Racism has been this bad in this country? Again, I'm not asking you to have the knowledge. I'm not asking you to sit there and be like, yeah, I have the same type of level of this, that, and the other than the black players or black people in this country. I'm not asking you for that. I'm not asking you need to claim to be that. But come on, man. I mean, these folks, racism is just not exclusive to black people. I'm quite sure everyone, almost everyone, of the players in the National Hockey League knows what racism is. They've been the victim of racism. They've seen racism. They've experienced racism. They've been around when racism racism has existed. They've been around when racism was present. So you can't sit there and tell me that we have no idea what racism is all about. Whether it's black, whether whatever country that you're from, I'm quite sure that there's racism that abounds. No country in this world, on this planet, is like everything's utopia. Whether you're discriminating through race, through religion, through gender, whatever. You know hate, you know oppression, you know bigotry, you know stereotypes, you know racism, guys. Don't give me this bullshit about, I had no idea. Especially when that shit happened on Sunday, and here it is on Wednesday, and you still don't do anything. Here it is when, again, the NBA players were were talking about this for days, and none of you guys got a whiff or a whim of what's going on. Where 
when the Milwaukee Bucks decided that they were going to boycott and then the NBA followed and then Major League Baseball found a way to cancel some of their games and this tennis tournament found a way to cancel their games and you guys are sitting up there talking about we had no idea. So what, now it's the player's decision on whether we should play games or not? Where's the leadership in this situation? Where's somebody to let those guys know, hey, you see what the NBA guys are doing? They're boycotting. I think it should be a great, I think it would be a great idea to show solidarity and what they're doing, and to really show them, and show the world, and show our fans, and show everybody else that we're serious about racism, and ending oppression, and and, uh, and bigotry all over the world, and in this country, and within taking the stand, we can even take it even further, NHL players come from all over the globe, so we can take what's happening to black Americans here in this country, and we can apply that not just to what's going on to black folks in America, but we can then take that message back to our home countries, to where there's oppression, or where there's bigotry, and where there's uh, segregation. And we can use that to go ahead and try to relay a message, if that's what we want to do. It's just, it's just not simply about a black thing. It is right now, in this matter, in this situation, but you can take many examples in terms of, you can take many things that are going on right now. And if you ain't going to apply it to black Americans because you don't live in this country and you're only here to play hockey, collect a check, and then go back to your country that you're from, show some intelligence, show some thoughtfulness, show something, and take what's going on in this country in terms of what we're trying to do to end racial equality in the United States Take that with you back to your country. And if you ain't going to do anything with it, at least give it to somebody who is in that country to say, hey, you guys are trying to fight this fight. You guys are trying to end this oppression. You guys are trying to stop this bigotry toward this group of people. Hey, in the United States, when I was playing hockey and they were going through this shit with the uh, black folks, this is what I learned. This is what they did to bring awareness, to bring justice. Maybe you should try that with what's going on in my country with the oppression, with the discrimination of a certain group of people right now. There's many examples that you can do. Don't give me some bullshit about, oh, gosh, golly, we just... I didn't know we, I had no idea. I was going to the game and woo, how about that? Surprise, surprise. Yeah, the Orlando Magic were surprise, surprise too. They they uh, found a way to pull it off when they were blindsided along with the Clippers, excuse me, along with the Lakers and the Trailblazers and the Thunder and the Houston Rockets. So, come on, man. I'm not, you know, I, again, I, I'm not sitting here talking about, you know, these guys are low life and scumbags or anything like that, but you got to do better hockey. You got to do better. I hope you do. And I really hope you do. And I, and I think they will. I think they will. Hopefully they will. All right, man, that is it. I am done. Mm, I want to thank you so much for giving me this opportunity, this platform to speak about one of the, what I wanted to speak about. Um, I hope I talk about sports the next time. I'm, I'm hoping and praying that I could get back to talking about um, what's happening with the games. Because that's what I really want to do. I really, 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 really want to do that. So we'll see. We'll see. So in turn, man, be safe. You know, be down with the struggle in any way, shape, or form. You don't know. You don't got to walk. You don't got to protest. You don't got to shout and scream. You don't have to do something violent. You don't have to do something outrageous. You know what you have to do? You have to have a conversation. You have to have a conversation with someone of a different mindset than yours. Then, and this is the hard part, you have to have the ability to not get offended, to not get butt hurt, 
to not get defensive, to listen to someone who is not of your skin color, not of your background. Listen to him. Maybe not of your educational status. Maybe it's something that you probably don't even agree with up until now. But listen. As black folks, being black in America, for me, being a black man in America, is so frustrating and exhausting because I keep trying to send this message and a certain group of people, white folks, will not listen because it doesn't fit their narrative, because it doesn't happen to them. And not just white folks, Hispanic folks, folks who just don't have the experiences, folks who aren't from the same environment as me, of diversity. And it's, it's just exhausting and it's just frustrating to try to explain this, this to them over and over and over again what the true meaning of my experience of being a black man is and them not taking heed to it because, well, it hasn't happened to me. Or, well, you know, this is my thoughts and feelings and thoughts about it, that they're going to take the word of a race-baiting piece of shit like um, Tucker Carlson or Laura Ingram or Rush Limbaugh or any of those jackasses, they're going to take their word about what the black experience is over, I don't know, someone who's actually black. So, that's up, man. That's it. Be good to each other. Listen, learn, listen, shut up, listen, learn, educate, grow music.